0: You were talking about like, hey, you work out maybe because you were fat before. I was so (laughs) chubby. I was so chubby that the other kids, that the girls at PE class, I didn't realize I was chubby. Kids are incredible. When I think back to how I felt as a kid, I didn't even know I was chubby. I remember just this one kid named Jack. He was from England, blue eyes, blonde hair. He took his shirt off, I guess, and he had abs. I was like, cool, me too. So I took my shirt off and I'm running, I'm running next to Jack. And the girls start chanting, Jack has abs, Ben has flabs. And I'm like, What? <laughs> I tell that story to people and they're like, that didn't happen. I'm like, no, I really wish it didn't happen. Uh it's probably why I go so hard in the gym now uh and why most of these photos i have now are me with like a purple jacket on no shirt because i'm just like oh i work out um so there's my inner child and me just like hey hey where's jack now Anyways, it's so weird.
1: <laughs> welcome to dmp discover more podcast is a community where we strive to discover more about life through insightful and nuanced conversations with fellow students of life. Discover More is a sanctuary for seekers of curiosity and discomfort. Congratulations on choosing curiosity over complacency this week. This is your host, Benoit Kim. Let's get this started. The guest of honor this week is Benjamin Carter at Carter Benjamin. Ben is a Caribbean American singer-songwriter, artist, father, and a fellow student of life. He currently has over 31,000 monthly listeners on Spotify alone, not to mention his music spends across all platforms. Ben's music is groovy, thought-provoking, and uniquely vulnerable. He seeks to take everyone's walls down, including his very own. As he puts it, Caribbean raised me, but DMV made me. When I first came across Ben's music, After meeting him working out at 5 in the morning, I was a bit confused by his genre because of its uniqueness and its ability to fight against the powerful but repetitive currents of mainstream music. This excerpt from his website at carterbenjamin.com best describes his music style. Benjamin uses music to tell stories of heartache, love, addiction, gentrification, and racism. He does so in hopes of developing artists of the next generation to do the same. He's a musician and entrepreneur fueled by relentless enthusiasm and passion with sights set on advocating for the mental, physical, and spiritual health through the undeniable power of music. Now just to name a few of his mile-long recognitions. He has performed at the legendary venue 930 Club in DC and released his 2018 single, Cosmic, produced by a well-known producer, Andy Seltzer, through a collaboration with Werner Music Group and Distribution. Ben's 2020 single, Fragile, and 2021 single, Psycho, which is my personal favorite, have both been featured on New Music Friday and NPR Radio Play. Oh, did I also mention he's a beast in the gym? You can find all things Benjamin Carter on social media handle at Carter Benjamin, and his website, carterbenjamin.com. Welcome to the show, Ben.
0: Thank you for having me, dude. Yeah, this is, this is, it's going to be fun.
1: So through our first encounter in the gym, our friendship has quite blossomed. And I came across you as a musician, of course, and of course, at first as a beast in the gym, as I alluded to. (laughs) But I realized you had so many intersecting interests and passion from books, neurobiology, mindset, personal development, creative. And what I mean by that is your titles of your songs, cosmic, Mm. fragile, psycho, time again in your upcoming single lost control all seem to suggest some sort of a theme of life and in life how do you approach yeah. naming your titles and what's the creative process behind them
0: it's a great question i think the biggest thing is titles really kind of come to me first like fragile is the best example i have for this i wrote down on a note in like 2016 on my phone uh, and at the time I wasn't really doing music, but I was, I've always been writing music, but I just wasn't doing the whole like thing that I'm doing now. And I remember I was still in, I was just finishing college. Uh, and I remember the walk from my house that I was living at to the campus. And I remember just being on my phone and singing some weird melody about being fragile and going to break. And I was just going through a breakup with my now wife. Uh, we were, we had broken up and I just knew I wanted to write a song called Fragile but I didn't really know what to say. Um, and so I kind of wrote some lyrics down, whatever, never touched it again. Uh, in DC in like 2018, I kind of started again, but I just didn't really feel it. By 2019, I'm sitting there in the studio session with a great producer, this studio right here. This used to be his studio. Met him, great artist, Tim Atlas, and he's a fantastic producer. And we got together and we just start working. And I say the line in there, shoot my shot, case I get it fragile if I don't bet you that I can't forget it. And as soon as I was able to finally get the word fragile, I was like, this is fragile, this is the idea I was sitting on for fucking like four years uh, that I couldn't figure out what I wanted to say, but I finally was able to like, say it. And it was a feeling of knowing like, okay, we, we got it. But most songs that come up with, they usually start from a word They usually are like, it's like one word or one phrase. And it flows from that phrase for me, uh, stream of consciousness uh, and very much like I'll come up with the phrase and then I'll start from verse one. And some people really like to focus on a chorus first and then build around a chorus. Uh, I like doing that in studios with people cause it's like it challenges me, but for the most part, I'm a very much like, that's my phrase. Now let's write an entire thing, work my way to the course. And it's like, it really is me telling this story. So if that makes sense, it's like, I'll say how I feel in a verse and then I'll get to the chorus and now finally I'm now getting the chance to speak the story. And so I'll write very linear, like here's the phrase, here's the title. Don't let me go. I'm so sad. I hate being alone, whatever that is. And then I will write a whole song based on that feeling that I felt with that phrase or that word. Cosmic was similar as I just was sitting outside and I was told myself, I got to write a song because I had only had one song out, gotta write a song today. And I was getting really good at writing songs on walks because I would have to walk everywhere in DC. So then I went for a walk. Dude, I remember sitting down at the wharf in Washington DC staring at the Anthem. And I was like, one day I'll play there. And I was just staring at it. I gotta figure out how to do a song. And I was like, I know cosmic satisfaction. Cosmic satisfaction always bring a new mystery. And I just wrote it down, cosmic satisfaction Constant, and then I just kept going and going and going from there. And I'm singing into a voice you note know, on my phone because I didn't even have a guitar with me. I didn't have anything with me. And I'm standing out on a Sunday with all these people out there. But I'm like, I gotta record this. And then two months later, I got to record it at Warner, which was also oh, how was this happening? And I had just started. I was two months into doing. So that was really cool.
1: Yeah, it's like the power of cosmos which is very mm-hmm. meta and very symbolic in nature because when you wrote the song of cosmic, cosmic satisfactions, cosmic significance, and then yeah. the stars began to align and you started to do feel the cosmic alignment through performing at the legendary club without having any released singles at the time, which is bonkers.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. It was literally something I have to fight against actually. And that one thing I, I really try to, get to a lot of artists and younger artists and younger creatives who I'm with is I'm like the idea of like hey this is crazy and it feels crazy because it is a dream come true for you what I had to realize is it wasn't a dream come true for someone else because I played it and there was some guy some local guy in DC who had 930 club not a packed out venue wasn't crazy my I didn't headline everything in me afterwards was like oh this wasn't a dream come true you're just a stupid kid but it's like no 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 like two three months ago i wasn't specific enough i will say you know if we're going to talk like manifestation and all that stuff two three months before i was at 9 30 club watching a band play and i had no songs recorded i had nothing at that point and i'm sitting there watching them going one day i'll play here and i just felt incredible and i was like one day it's gonna happen three months later it's happening i don't even have music out yet I now look back on it and I'm like, man, I have compassion on my four years ago self, you know, like you didn't know any better, but I wish I could just like help that version of me just be like, dude, stay here, stay grateful. This is beautiful. Just cause someone else was like, well, you didn't headline. Well, it's not yours. Well, you're just not really that big of a deal. Like, dude, you got to play 930. Club. That's all you wanted. That's all I cared about at the time. Um, and so it was super, the moment was super special. For me. And I'd learned along the way, let it be special for you. Let what God is doing be special for you. And don't look for affirmation for other people to have the same feeling towards your story. Because they're not living your story. So they might just be like, that's cool. You know what I mean? They like, and I was looking for people to be like, oh my God, maybe it's not cool. Uh, but it was so cool. And I look back now, I'm like, I know music out. and I'm playing this thing. And it was beautiful. It was so much fun. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah, the cosmos, cosmic satisfaction. I didn't even know what the word meant at the time. Like the phrase cosmic satisfaction wasn't very heady. I just kind of like, again, sometimes stream of consciousness and I just will write and write and write. Sometimes that leads me to nothing. Sometimes it leads me to having a song that I really care about. But for me, it's all about the importance of actually like putting it to paper, saying it out loud, and then looking at it afterwards and then deciding where should this go.
1: It's very interesting because from what you said with your elegant story i sense a lot about a thread of vulnerability fragile cosmic satisfactions what am i doing with my life we're just floating stardust in the space however we are came here with a purpose right or fragile i went through a most recent heartbreak heartbreak is one of the most tragic and emotionally fraught things you can experience i will know as a clinician at the same time without you being sulking in it you lean into your creative process and you sort of just sprouted out. You almost did a verbal journaling, detoxing and downloading all these thoughts from your headspace into paper, pen to paper, or mouth to voice memo in your case. How do you view vulnerability and why do you think it's so important for especially young men these days?
0: I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, man, I think I'm going to tell people I'm the, I'm going to brand myself from now on as the black male uh, Brene Brown. I think she's fantastic. My wife's obsessed with her. She's the one who really got me like listening to Brene and I'll listen to a couple of podcasts with my wife. Yes. But Brene's obsession with shame and vulnerability is like my obsession with it is that I lived it in not being vulnerable, you know, but like that shame, that guilt, all of that stuff, it all comes out of my songs. um, A lot from like even bad habits to everything else. I think that it's really, really important. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian and one of my, one of the things I remember that my, my pastor you told me, you know, try to like find like a resolution maybe like at the end of it or da 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 and everything's bad, but I don't know, and everything's gonna be okay, you know, or something. And I just kind of was like, No, I'm not gonna do that. Because I when I read Psalms, you know, the Psalms are for those who don't know, it's it's this book of the Bible with all these tiny little like poems and songs and these things this person singing songs about what's going on around them, but their relationship with God. And some of them are not like, God's awesome. Life's so cool. Some of them are, why have you forsaken me? I feel like dust. I feel like dirt I'm being trampled on. You're not here. Next chapter. God, I'm so grateful that you're here. So it's like, whoa, what the? <laughs> like, If you choose the wrong day and be like, I'm just going to read a psalm today. <laughs> you just read that one. You're like, I'm going to read two psalms today. Because what the heck? That just ruined my day. <laughs> that feeling where it's like, I now, in some songs, you know, and Father Father of Prayer is a single that I put out a while ago, which was something I wrote in the pandemic. Honestly, I put no effort in, you know, really promoting it. None of that. But I had a great friend, um, I'm great mutual friend of ours, Chikadi. He did the artwork for it for me, and it's it's a special song. But it wasn't a song that I was like really trying to like promote, put on project. But I did need to get out. I just was like, this these lyrics matter to me. The chorus being, "I'm so close. Uh, I know you'll never leave me." but this shit's too hard, you know? And if you're in the Christian space and you hear somebody like cuss, talking to God in a prayer, you know, that could throw you off, you know? But for me, it's like, dude, that's how I was feeling. So it's called Father of Prayer, but I just, poor, I was sitting there on a guitar, beginning of pandemic, lost my job, pandemic, you know, Ahmaud Arbery's already been killed. George Floyd was about to be murdered. Breonna Taylor has been shot and killed. I'm sitting there, you know, playing guitar, and thinking about that, losing my job, and then having a baby, my first kid in two months. So I'm kind of like, at this really dark place, How, what am I supposed to do? Uh, and the world seems really grim, and I'm just sitting in a room, and all I can sing is, I'm so close, I know you'll never leave me, but the shit's so hard alone. It's really, for me, it's about connecting people's best songs. I think sometimes when we try to, there is a method to the madness, but For me, it's all now I look at the method in retrospect, and I can learn from myself, you know, and I've learned from myself and my songs that I've written in the past, how to get to that place where I'm able to say something that we all feel uh, and try to sonically deliver in a way that makes everyone be able to relate to it, you know, or as many people as I can be able to relate to it and get the message. There's a method to that. But I don't really think about that when I'm writing it, when I'm writing it, it's get the words out that you feel in this moment, get the phrases out that you feel in this moment. And then can we tweak sonically? Can we tweak melody? Can we, sure, like let's figure that out to dress it up in a way that like is easily receptive maybe, or if it's not supposed to be easily receptive, then let's do that too, you know? Like maybe the chords are really dissonant and it's really like, ugh, I don't wanna sit in this, but it might actually show what's going on lyrically. And I think that's the fun part of art is like being able to take these different elements and mix them together that don't seem to go together and put them together and be like, ah, I feel something. So I think all that to say with shame and vulnerability, to me, it's about being able to get to that place, say that thing, you know, just get out of your comfort zone in your house, say that thing that you really authentically feel. That was a long winded answer to talk about shame. But hopefully that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, clinically, of course, like shame is a it's a long emotion and there's definitely a lot of complexity to that. And yeah, I just want to recognize because having someone like you from your background, from your community representing and embodying vulnerability and mental health and the important non-negotiable notion that you have to bet on yourself in order for the cosmos or the universe or God to do their jobs to propel you forward. But you got to take the initiative. But having someone like you and the reason why I believe in the avenue of podcasting so much, especially the ethos of discovering more, is how can we discover more about life when we don't talk to each other, right? This humanity is comprised of all these individuals. And I think it's an analogy by my great friend and co-founder of the podcast, Aiden. He talks about the port analogy to view through the world through is the more pieces of the puzzle that you have, the wider the portal becomes. And the more comprehensive Mm -hmm. it becomes the more benefits it brings to you more perspective more experiences more lanes of truth etc but i do think you have to be vulnerable and humble to receive those lessons to receive those signs uh and in terms of vulnerability i just want to double click on this real quick and i would love for you to share this impactful moment that you had when your songs first got onto the new music friday around the US and around the world after the atrocity of George Floyd. And yeah, you gloss over so many intricate details and the long winded tangent you just went through. But it's my job to dissect them one by one. Yeah. So let's ride the vulnerability train for a little bit longer and just walk us through that experience of the impact of of course the tragedy and the death of George Floyd that rocked the world. But it reawakened the much needed movement. To remind people that racism isn't gone, still very much endemic, uh, but yeah. just walk us through in terms of the whole manifestation. In terms of how did you yeah. lean into the most tragic events in the summer into Music Friday and just the almost like the the dark and the light at the same time.
0: The story is the dark story is dark light to dark to light now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was this moment of like. I mean, I, I already said where kind of the context was, but at that time, then once George Floyd, George Floyd was, was killed on my first day of being laid off. To be honest, I'm feeling like I'm living the dream. At that point, uh, my company had uh, laid me off, but they I had this incredible, crazy moment where I'm sitting there freaking out, like I'm about to have a kid, about to have a kid, but I'm screwed. I gotta figure this stuff out. Okay, I got four months severance. Okay, so my kid's born in July. By August, I need a job. Okay, how do we do this? And then I get a random phone call, you know, and I'm free kind of having anxiety still. I've already written father and I get a random phone call. And this person's like, hey, and I'm like, hey, and they're like, um, is this Benjamin Carter? I'm like, yeah, this is him. Well, uh, someone called us, and she seemed so confused. She was like, someone called <laughs> us and they told us that you needed extra four months severance. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, so you're going to be good, you know, for, you know, you're taking care of for the rest of the year. What? Uh, okay. And they're like, okay. Well, I was like, is it because I'm having a kid? They're like, ah, that's probably why. <laughs> Anyways, just to call them to let you know, <laughs> what kind of phone call is this? <laughs> uh, and then they got off the phone. I still have no idea who made the call. No clue who called this person and told them, give this kid an extra four months. And I'm sitting there like, all right. And I'm, i get off the phone and me and my wife my wife looks at me she's like who was that and we just i tell her and we're bawling our eyes out holding each other in the kitchen you know because i'm sitting there going how is this you know we got to make some money i'm scared then i'm like the answer to my other prayer came together i want to be a artist full-time that's all i want to do all i want to do is make music and so i'm sitting there going like someone's gonna pay me till the end of the year I'm now a full-time artist. I am now getting paid to just, and so it's like that perspective shift and I've just always been that, I guess, delusional and naive to allow myself to play those little, you know, story games where I'm like, all right, now I'm a full-time artist. Uh, and I got to play that for the rest of the year. So I'm pulling up in Santa Barbara I'm sitting at a friend's house and I'm reading about George Floyd. And I, I didn't know what to say. The next week, Fragile was supposed to be released, but it kind of felt like good timing as well to like get the message out of of vulnerability so i was like about to pull the song completely i was like dude just not the time let's not maybe we should put the song out i was trying to make this about me and then my manager also was kind of like yeah as a black man himself was also like you are black you do realize that right like he was like this is kind of about you like he's like this is about everyone who looks like you in this time and i'm like ah I forgot I was black. Uh, so then I was like, all right, all right, all right. And we, we switched all the marketing stuff, like within like literally two days, like we, the posts and all that were like, uh, just cause I'm fragile doesn't mean I'm broke just cause I'm fragile doesn't mean I'm broken. Just like all these different things and saying the black body is fragile, but not broken, the black body is fragile, but not broken. And we just kept posting that stuff. And I was like, cool, sweet. Then ain't like, oh, crazy. It wasn't like these awesome moments. But then I have this video on my phone of one night while we're editing and creating that stuff, getting ready and putting the black bodies fragile, but not broken. This feeling hits me and I'm like, oh shit, this song is going to pop off. And I have video of myself, my pregnant wife, late at night, me running around the apartment. We're four days away from releasing uh, Fragile, my song Fragile. And I'm like telling her like, oh, it's going to go off. She's like, what does that mean? Um, and one thing I study of that video is like, I had no idea the details. Sometimes but now in life I like to pretend like this is exactly what's gonna happen. And that's usually when I know I'm wrong uh, because in that moment I ended up being right. But when my wife says like, what do you think is gonna happen? I don't know. I just know it's going to do well. And it made me almost doubt myself. Like in the co- thing, you can kind of see my body language shift when she started to ask me like detailed questions. But I was like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I just am telling you, something's going to happen. Song comes out, Friday hits. I look, I'm like, holy crap, this is New Music Friday. The New Music Friday. How the hell am I on New Music Friday? I don't even have a label. These are all major label artists. The world is listening to my song. Oh my God, all new indie? What the heck? Okay, and next morning, wake up, outliers. Holy, holy crap. And then I'm just watching all these playlists, Spotify playlists. Song jumps up over 200,000 streams in a month. And I'm sitting there like, dude, this is crazy. But that's where the dark came in. Now we have guy who's believed who knows but doesn't really know how. And now he's seeing all this cool stuff happen. But in the midst of everything else now still having a kid, it's not equating to actual money. Like he's not rich. He doesn't know what's gonna happen. He's not been signed. So then I get confused. And I get anxiety every day. Because I go, I don't have another song to follow this up with for another four at least. So then it turns dark and I have panic attacks, anxiety, and I delete all my apps. I delete all the stuff, but I'm just inside. I'm just riddled with fear. Like, Oh, this is going to stop. And when I tell you this song got up to over 200,000 streams in a month and then slowed down to probably like one of the lowest stream songs I'd ever had. It happened like that. It just like, became a normal song in the streaming like 100 streams a day, which for a lot of artists that like doesn't sound that sounds like a lot for some artists. So I don't mean to like diminish that. But like, I just went from like 200,000 to there and me just going to anxiety and be like, I don't know what to do. And the light part came last year while I was at kind of a darker, still in that kind of season of trying to figure out how do I manage this anxiety? How do I manage this stuff? And as I was meditating, as I'm reading different books, as I'm doing all of this stuff, I'm reading Think and Grow Rich, I'm reading Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, I'm, you know, I'm you know, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Homer, I'm reading all these books, and I'm meditating every day, I'm praying, I'm journaling, because I'm just like, dude, I got to get this, I got to get my mind right. I'm kind of detached i'm detached from fragile at that point you know because i don't know what's gonna happen i'm like i assume the song's dead i'm just focused on the new stuff that we're doing and then i get a text hey man uh you cool with fragile being on this netflix tv show i don't care about being on a netflix tv show i'm like that's never that doesn't help anybody like besides the nice check i'm like who's shazamming songs on netflix uh so i'm like whatever yeah let's do it uh I was like i said i'll take the chat I noticed my Shazam start going up once the show comes out. Some friends start posting like, holy crap, I'm listening to Benjamin Carter on 20-somethings Austin. I'm like, ah, it's working. Still not like hyped. I'm like actually off social media again because I'm like trying to get my mind right for the new year. It's almost the end of the year last year. And then I was like, oh, I should probably get back on when I'm coming back. I was like, I should say something on TikTok. So then I like make a quick TikTok with me and my daughter laying in bed and me being like, notice my Shazam's went up a lot because my song went on a Netflix TV show. That video gets over a million views. I watch my streams. Now I think the song's like top streamed on Spotify. It's definitely top on, on like Apple. It just starts going up and I'm like, wait a minute, what the heck is happening again? And now I'm watching the song get the same love, but I'm now not anxious. I'm not confused. I'm just like, no, man, like what's for me is for me. How these things happen and the waves, they happen. I got to be okay with, but I'm not going back to that guy that was freaking out in the in-between. I'm going to love this in-between moment and like be excited and love people and talk with people and hop on podcasts and and just do what I can to help other people in, in between. And then the things that get blessed in my life along the way, I'm like, let's go, you know, like. That was a need. We need this to go. Well, we need this so that, you know, we can have the, we can tour. We can bring this music out to people so we can get it out to more audiences so we can touch people's lives. So there's a, there's a need for this. Cool. How do we get it? That's just the process. That's the work. We set up a plan. This Bible says a man makes a plan. Proverbs 69 says a man makes his plan. Um, but God directs his steps. And I'm just like that verse for me is like this weird, funny paradox where it's like, all right, well, I'm going here. But if it looks like this, you know, the whole way, like I'm cutting and curving and left and right and all that kind of stuff. It's like, ah, yeah, that might happen. But I will end up at this destination that I have my eyes on or somewhere greater. The in-between, that's walk by faith, not by sight. That's move around. That's figure out how to get there. So my dark light <laughs> light journey, whatever it is, that's what it, it basically is. And I kind of I feel at this place now in life where I'm more, my process is really fixated on maintaining this feeling, this mindset, this identity, this belief system versus writing the best song. And that seems counter to some people, but to me, it's like, this is where I want to be. And we kind of talked before the podcast, you make, I can make better business decisions, I can make better songs. If I'm here, it might take me longer than the person who's in their craft every single day. And focusing on the intricacies might take me longer. I'm not saying I'll get there faster than somebody else. Who's always in the studio, but I'm really, really focused on making sure I never have, I minimize, not never, but I minimize as many moments as possible in my life with the kid, with the wife. I want to minimize that moment of depression and anxiety attacks as much as possible because I care about my surroundings, my family, and I don't want them to see me with these anxiety attacks every single day. So my process of the gym, meditation, journaling, therapy, you know, mentorship, prayer, like those things, focusing on how do I get these routines in place in a very, very organized way that I am almost always at this feeling of abundance, of love, of unconditional love. Even when bad things are happening, I feel composed. I know who I am. I know I'm loved. I know I'm cared for and cherished. And I can now be composed under pressure and walk it and make good decisions. That's
1: where I'm at. The seasons of life, right? Seasonality of life. Because I always talk about this. If it's always sunny and no rain, it's drought and desert. Yeah. But if it's always rainy, it's flooding and nothing grows. So you need the interplaying of different seasons to truly cultivate the optimal conditions. And I just want to highlight your such an amazing story about you flipping the narrative Not just flipping, almost embracing and embodying the narrative of George Floyd's tragedy through the lens and the song and the creative avenue of fragility by saying that black bodies are uh, fragile but never broken. I got goosebumps and I had a full stop on this side of the screen because, man, we live in this world of or, but it's always and. You can be fragile and unbroken. You can be weak and have strength. life is in the nuances and this is the reason why i love these long-form conversations because when you truly let go of what you want to hear what you think you should hear and just sit into the space of this container there's so much insight not just this conversation but any long-form conversations you can with your neighbor with elders with someone that's younger you just don't know what life's going to present to you through or as but i really really love the lyric and how you were able to embody the fragility in a very strength-based approach that's yeah. really powerful man so i just want to highlight that for you and yeah let's talk in terms of your habits because you're very mindful right and i'm very grateful that we became fast friends through the a.m morning crew which is yeah. that's how you know that's almost like an inheritance preliminary vetting because you know if you show up at 5 a.m or 5 30 to work out it's either you it used to be fat like I used to be, <laughs> or or there's something you have that work ethics or you have this yeah. vision, you have this unwavering commitment because you don't just work out because you want to, right? Yeah. So uh, because it's always fascinating to me when I talk about these mindfulness exercises or practices, especially journaling, because I reckon when I journal, sure I'm a creative, but my creative genius is, is not in the musical sense as you are. So it's not lyrical even though I'm, I like to articulate my thoughts in a particular way. So as an artist and musician, what does your journaling process look like?
0: It changed up last year. So I've actually, uh, I don't know if it's the case for everyone who grows up kind of in the westernized Christian world, but like journaling was kind of like a normal thing in like youth groups and stuff. You know so i was always journaling but it was always like based off a of devotion we would do or like re- what did i read from the bible and then writing down my like notes from like what i read in the bible and how that applies to my life i got in that practice probably from a young age like that i was always writing you know journaling i was always i was writing songs from even younger so i'd always have a notebook but then the process of like journaling my feelings my emotions kind of came through that but it was always what am i getting out of this scripture thing and sometimes you're reading scriptures like i said that are like i'm forsaken and i'm sitting there like i got nothing to say like this isn't helpful <laughs> um so yeah uh, last year i read this really good book but i was actually he's a he was a pastor at a church in, in pete suzero um, he's an author a great author but he had this book called there's a bunch of emotional healthy spiritualities one i think i read emotionally healthy discipleship and he just said really briefly It wasn't a main point of his thing, but he talked about how God's speaking to me through my emotions, he created them. So I need to find out what he's trying to say through this emotion. He created these emotions. I'm feeling it. What is God trying to tell me based on feeling or I felt in that moment? So he kind of like this more analytical way. So now I have this journaling method where every single day I start my morning with what emotions are you feeling right now? And then I'll write those out. And then uh, I'll put, and why? And then I'll go, you know, read scripture. I'll do, you know, I actually read the Bible. I read a daily stoic devotional, the Daily Laws by Robert Greene. And I read Tao. And for me, it's just like a a great, well-rounded understanding of practicality, spirituality, and my specific, you know, religion that I practice. So I'll read all of them in the morning. But before I used to do, write down those emotions that I'm feeling and then take a moment in silence and meditate. But I kind of switched it up and I actually like it better for me, at least through the day is now I will meditate before I even touch the journal pad. Um, and usually it's like a dispenser one or it's simple mindfulness. I work with open and like a little open ambassador now. So it's a great app mindfulness app that I've really come to enjoy. Um, and so I I'll hop on there choose something sit through one of theirs or do like a Joe Dispenza meditation which if you're new to meditation definitely work your way up to his it's definitely different uh and and then at the end of it I find myself creating the emotion that I kind of want for the day so then I feel overwhelmed and grateful. I feel at peace. I feel rested. I feel refreshed. I feel abundant. I feel those things. And I write them down. And then I go, why? And then I talk, but there were some moments where I realized I wasn't creating my day. I was reacting still. So when I would wake up in the morning, I was like, how am I feeling? Restless, annoyed, whatever. Why? Because of these things. Okay. But we didn't do the change part yet. And so now it's like tapping into creating the emotion of gratitude every single day like being just at peace and grateful for everything i have and for everything that i know that i believe will come to my life might be challenges and stuff but that's that manifestation that belief man these things are coming to me
1: yeah and also i loved your very slick and beautiful product placement so when you get that commission check send some to my end right for endorsing that <laughs> <laughs> But I loved your, um, as a daily meditator myself for the past three years, I am extremely scarce and protective and selfish over my 20 minutes. When I wake yes. up around five, a little bit earlier that 20 minutes before I brush my teeth, before I go to the workout is my time. It's just yep. myself and my inner thought. And yep. I just want to get as close as I can to the power of discernment to see what I'm feeling. Because emotions are transients. As once again, as a clinician, clinically speaking, people sometimes attach too much meaning to their emotions. Like, oh, what happened? What are the causal factors? Oh, did I do something wrong? Was there an argument I wasn't aware of? Oh, was it my inner trauma? Sometimes those are the case. But a lot of times, emotions are transients, just like our thoughts. We don't always have control over our emotions and thoughts. And I really, really loved what you talked about God created his emotions. So what do they mean? That is such a powerful reframe, right? Of course, as a fellow Christian, first and foremost, I love these conversations and have this and upholds the influence of God in our lives. And that's amazing to me. And C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian philosopher and author, yeah. he talks about God whispers in joy, but screams in pain,
0: God's loudest, he said, the megaphone. Pain is God's loudest, like, megaphone, or is, exactly. is God's megaphone. And I was like, wait, what?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's like the pain teachers. And that's why I love personal development so much, because when you work on yourself, as you alluded to earlier, when you are feeling in your personal cup of this human, Benjamin Carter, your other cups generally get fulfilled. But as you said this earlier very, very well, that a lot of people have that process reversed. That's why a midlife crisis happens. That's why people are climbing up the wrong buildings, right? Trying to curate the false sense of self because of parents, because of trauma, because of the patriarchal toxic framework that we put on the pedestal of, oh, this is what success looks like. This is what men looks like. So I just want to really recognize that you're, I could tell you're a ferocious reader. You have a lot of intellectual interest. You're, you read a lot, I could tell. Where do you think that interest this thirst for knowledge and growth comes from being the
0: (laughs) being the person everyone thought was dumb (laughs) uh for sure there's definitely a piece of that in there it's there's my parents talk about it a lot but they they're still like first grade when they had like gave out the reading list for what the for the year i guess like first grade or third grade i think it was the third grade actually. They gave out the reading list for the year and I finished it in a month. And I was like, again, it's the third grade, but I just was like, so I love stories. I loved reading. And I was like, ah! And I finished uh, the entire thing. By by like the fifth or sixth grade, I was writing short story, creating characters and writing short stories just for fun. Cause I just was like, got this is exciting. I love story so much. And as I got older, going to the library, picking up books and it was always not, it was not like there was some fantasy. There was some like fiction, but man, I was, I was pulling up in the, the, especially cause I loved sports and I would read books on skateboarding and NASCAR and dirt bike racing and soccer and soccer. That's how I fell in love really with soccer was through looking and reading books in the library and stuff. But like, I remember at one point I thought I was gonna be a NASCAR driver. I just was like, probably like third grade or something. I was like, dude, I could do this. Because I'm reading a book about NASCAR. Now, what threw me off, and as a kid, you know the certain things that just stick with you. I read about all the deaths in that same book in NASCAR, and I went, "Nigga, I ain't trying to die." <laughs> I, just, I remember closing that book up, and being like, probably like in the third or fourth grade. It's like NASCAR's out of the picture. I gotta find something else. Um, and the, everything else that I just kept reading, I just love that man. But there's definitely a piece of me that. Lost reading as much. So I got to college, still kind of bad student. Wasn't like good with school. Definitely wasn't reading those textbooks. That's for sure. And then got to my senior year. I failed out of music school, but I got to like officially do this organizational leadership major, kind of a BS major. uh, But I just wanted to graduate and I just wanted to get out. So I convinced them to move some credits around for me begged them. I'm not convinced. I was just like, please take some of my old music business c- credits and let's just make them count. Let's just, let's just say they count. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here. And it worked. And the books I read that year, you know, I remember reading stuff by Daniel Pink. I remember reading Emotional Intelligence. I remember reading pieces of uh, Built to Last. And I would read those things. And it was like this reinvigorated like personal development, love of like business and how people move and understanding human psychology and how to lead people. And I was like, Oh, this is exciting. And I picked up Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath. Now Malcolm Gladwell is my favorite author. But then I read David and Goliath. I read tipping point outliers, right? That's where I feel the most alive. So now my goal is just to stick to that natural inclination of like, I love reading. So it's really been up to last year, I kind of was reading maybe one book a year but I would feel incredible on it and we feel incredible when i read it, but then I couldn't keep myself consistent. Now I'm reading, every read three books at once. I got one book I'm going through on like a memoir over here. I have one on spirituality and I have another one on like, you know, practical business, you know, investment, I'm reading intelligent investor right now, Benjamin Graham. So it's like, I'll have all three different subjects. I don't even watch as much TV anymore because I'm like, these are so intriguing to me. And I have, a different taste of each one. So I can just pop in on this book and learn and pop in on this one and learn this one. I don't even read music books. I don't read a lot on like the music business or anything. I just, I'm really intrigued with how we work, how like humans work. and That's the spiritual side of us, the emotional side of us, the business side of us.
1: Yeah, to me, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but from this this side of the table, quite literally, you're taking a, this reverse engineering approach you're going after this version of Benjamin Carter that you want to emulate, which is your future version of maximum potential. And you're reverse engineering reversely to know yourself, okay, if this is the type of human, if this is type of father, if this is type of husband and partner and musicians I inspire to be from a hindsight view, what steps should I be taking, right? 100%. And through yeah. that, you're making sure that your, your anchor doesn't get lost in life because you sort of talked about this earlier where even with your wife, Yas, when she had those visions of what she wanted to do, and she was living the reality as we speak, but she was caught up in anxiety because of, oh, the future, right? Because it's like in stoic philosophy, you don't want to borrow yeah. unhappiness from the future, right? You're a daily yeah. stoic Ryan holiday fan. So, and everyone's baseline always increases. It's very interesting. Of course, I have endless fascination with human psychologies and emotionality is whenever we're looking at something, our baseline's lower, but as you get yeah. closer, our baseline of satisfaction also increases. It's yeah. almost like as people who work out the holy grail yeah. of workout is what the pump you're always chasing after the pump, but you will never get the pump because as you get bigger, your pump also gets bigger. So it's always yeah. these. You know this dangling carrot that I was chasing after, but we will never yeah. achieve. But man, yeah. pump feels great.
0: I think actually even the yes thing. I think we actually talked about that, not even on camera. Her, it is the, it was watching her, that year, which would have been last year. She achieved insane heights, and I remember we talked about it, and I was so proud of her. Uh, I was at a different place most of last year where. I was not believing in myself. I was not feeling great. I was trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to write and how I want to put that in music and what that was going to lead me to. But she was just like, I'm going to do it. And she did all this stuff. But in between moments, she had some anxiety. She had some stuff. And I'm sitting there like depressed already. And I'm just like, dude, she's having anxiety, but she's also doing this. But by the end of the year, she achieved all the stuff that she set out. January, she said she was going to do this. December, she did it. Um, and I was like, like this is just on money, finances, all that stuff. And I looked at her and along the way, crazier stuff happened. I remember this year, I said, thank you for setting that example for me that January. I said, I'm going to do this December. I'll have it all that I said, I'm going to set out to go do, but I'm going to work really hard for us, for our family, that those in between moments I don't do. And I was like, this isn't an insult to her. I was just like, cause I was telling her in the moment, I was like, this isn't an insult to you. Cause I was worse than her all elite year last year. But now you showed me, it was so inspiring to see that we can, we as humans with God, not not without God, or if you want to say the universe or whatever, but like we are created being. we talked about this in our first conversation. I was like, I remember reading, I think it was Immanuel Kant Con- or Descartes when I was in high school and reading this stuff in like philosophy class and them saying, I think therefore I am. And I remember being like, I was created therefore I create that part of me being like, Oh, I can create with God this future, because he created me out of, I'm not doing it out of nothing, because everything's already created, God creates out of nothing. So I was like, we're gonna create this future by the end of the year, it's gonna happen, but because I know I'm, I'm gonna try to go my year without doubt. And what are the tools I need for when doubt does come up that I can manage it, because it's going to come up, and it has plenty of times. It's only middle of the year, and I've had plenty of times where I've doubted myself. But I have the tools to manage it this time, and that's what I'm fixated on is the tools for managing doubt, the tools for managing uh, you know, not feeling great about myself and going back to the old version of myself and being able to try to teach that to my family, to my wife, to my daughter, so that they now have the tools so my wife can do, because I believe she's way better than me at most things. Uh, and like, like, I'm just like, oh, I want her to have these tools so that she now or I manage my doubt at even a, a higher capacity. And I, that's what I'm really interested in for sure.
1: Yeah, because there are definitely negative emotions, but most emotions yeah. aren't good or bad. Are they serving you in the moment or are they disserving you? Yeah, and yeah, right. just to relive the offline conversations where you talked about we are created, therefore creativity and the ability to create is part of our DNA. And for non-Christians, and maybe you have some resistance hearing this as a listener, if you're not a Christian or you don't identify through any faith or spirituality. So let me provide this more tangibly. So if you think about the urge that's deeply encoded in our DNA, this creativity process or the ability to create is prehistoric. Cave paintings, like Homo sapiens. And what really established the human's dominance in the hierarchy of apex predators is our ability to create fire and tools, period. Language, sure, all those things came, but it's our ability to create. And yeah, I had this conversation with the last interview, episode 94 talks about how, imagine the world where everyone was an artist and everyone could lean into this prehistoric design Imagine the endless possibility of the world. And of course, Web 3.0, consumer blockchains and metaverse and creator economy is coming in the next five to 10 years, which is very, very, very exciting for me to see. With that being said, so I just want to double click and revisit something. I'm a bit of a non sequitur. So we'll weave in and out of the personal to the macro. I sense a theme of mindset in what you just said, because whether you want to discern the emotions that you have, or journal about it, or reflect on it, or believe in it, it all comes down to the simple mindset. And I just want to talk about the soccer real quick. First of all, I didn't know that your love for soccer started from reading, which is a full circle, right? It's like, how do you fall in love with a sport through reading? I never even thought about that, but worked for you. But I would love for you to share the interesting journey of your soccer.
0: Yeah, so I think... It, it definitely, obviously I'm, I lived in the Caribbean. So while I was in the Cayman islands, soccer's happening everywhere around. Me. But again, I was that weird kid who was reading so much that there was like, oh. I was reading uh, Tony Hawk and Bob Burnquist about like their, you know, how they were skating and stuff and being like, well, I want to be like Tony Hawk. I want to be the next Bob Burnquist, you know, because I was reading that not because people were skating around me. So like reading for some reason just made it real in my head and just my imagination, just like, this is all, ha- this can happen. To the point where like Tony Hawk and Bob Burnquist opened up a skate park in the Cayman Islands. And I was there watching these guys by the time I was like in the sixth grade and I'm like, I was just happening. Uh, and it's one of the most beautiful skate parks in the world. But I literally didn't even, I stopped skating much to how my journey with soccer is. But this, you can tell is I stopped skating because someone told me. Hey, we don't do this. And I was like, what? And it was my cousin. I'll still remember it. I brought my custom skateboard that I begged my parents for Got there. And I said, this is that. And they were like, they looked me in the face and said, black people don't do that. We don't skate. So with soccer it was the same, except through Man, I was not good. I was made fun of. You were talking about like, hey, you work out maybe because you were fat before. I was so <laughs> chubby. I was so chubby that the other kids, that the girls at PE class, I didn't realize I was chubby. Kids are incredible. When I think back to how I felt as a kid, I didn't even know I was chubby. I remember just this one kid named Jack. He was from England, blue eyes, blonde hair. He took his shirt off, I guess, and he had abs. I was like, cool, me too. So I took my shirt off, and I'm running running next to Jack. And the girls start chanting, Jack has abs, Ben has flabs. And I'm like... What? <laughs> I tell that story to people and they're like, that didn't happen. I'm like, no, I really wish it didn't happen. Uh, it's probably why I go so hard in the gym now. Uh, and why most of these photos I have now are me with like this purple shirt on and no sh- a purple jacket on, no shirt, because I'm just like, oh, I work out. Um, so it's my inner child and me just like, hey, hey, where's Jack now? Um, anyways, so <laughs> when I go to, uh america i moved to america in the seventh grade i had i had just finished watching by that time youtube had had become a thing you know had watching soccer videos on youtube highlight reels every single day of like Ronaldinho, cristiano ronaldo and then the world cup happens 2006 and i'm like okay and i moved to the u.s july 30th 2006 and i go all right No one knows who I am in the U.S. I remember this conscious thought, like, no one knows who I am. Kind of they knew because I skipped over that story. A hurricane happened. I was a refugee in the U.S. for, like, three or four months Uh, in Washington, D.C. My parents left me with my parent with my grandparents, and went back to Cayman to fix up and help everybody. And my dad was a pastor there. So me and my sister were, like, refugees living with our grandparents, and we were going to school for, like, three months uh, when I was in the fifth grade. Um, So I went to the school and then turns out a year and a half later, my dad's like, actually, we're moving back to DC and you're going back to that same school. So I'm like, all right, they don't really know me. I don't really know them. There's going to be a couple people I know um, when I pull up, but let's be the world's greatest soccer player. Like my brain was just like, I'm going to be the next Pele. That's literally, I told myself that sentence. And I couldn't juggle a soccer ball. Like I could not even <laughs> not juggle a soccer ball at that point. But I'm like watching YouTube videos every single day. I'm watching these guys called ballas Berlin. And they would just do these crazy tricks, juggling a soccer ball. And I was just like, I'm gonna do that. And bro, when I tell you I, something clicked in me. my mom, I remember her coming down to the basement saying, Hey Ben, it's time to eat. And I'm drenched in sweat. I'm drinking like five, six different water bottles a day. Not trying to lose weight, but losing a ton of weight. Uh, and I'm just like sitting there, just like, no, not till I'm the next Pele, not till I'm the next Pele. Kicking the soccer ball, putting this bucket, like this, like nasty bucket, all the way in the back of the backyard because we have this tiny, tiny backyard because the middle of the city in D.C. Uh, in Northwest. And I'm just kicking it and trying to curve it around this this tree. And just curving it, trying to see, can I curve it into the bucket? Can I curve it into the bucket? Can I curve it into And I kept doing that shit over and over again, doing, juggling, 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 juggling. By the time I get to school, around 50, 60 juggles, they're like, I'm training really hard in practice and people are like, oh, this guy's kind of good. By the end of that year, seventh grade year, you know, I'm juggling around 100, 150 in a row. Uh, I just learned to like count and I'm going, All right, I got 150. And then eighth grade year comes along there, you know, I have a coach from the high school being like, Hey, do you want to move up early? Like, do you, and I'm like, my parents and the coaches, there were like, don't, you should not be trying to move up early. You're not going to get playing time, focus on juggling. I'm at 335 by the end of that year. Another coach comes to me and he goes, Hey, stop counting, focus on creativity, focus on tricks, who cares how much you can do in a row? And I said, got it. So then I started focusing more on tricks, started focusing on that. And I get to high school. I'm there. I finally made it to playing with like the varsity boys. I'm starting on the team with all these older kids. Yeah, I got this. And the older kids just don't respect. They don't think I'm good. They make fun of me. They love me obviously like in this loving way, but I was looking for affirmation and I was made fun of. So for about three years from freshman year, high school to 11th grade, I am, I win. The most I win is a honorable mention twice, which is like third team. That was all I got, and a couple assists, and I think I scored once in three years. I was always choking. I was always afraid. Our team won a championship the eleventh grade year. I remember we had won a championship, but my parents at that point money was a really tight. Things were bad. We weren't able to. They weren't able to get me into a travel team. I was having doing summer camps where scouts are telling me like, Hey, you're wasting your kid's talent. He's only playing at high school level. And I'm sitting there going like, Yeah, Dad, let me let me go, like, let me go play these other things. But we didn't have the money. We only had one car. That car was always breaking down. So I'm already going three years deep of like, the soccer dream is dying fast. That whole time music is slowly growing on me. Now all of these older kids are just graduating. Senior year comes around, the coach who had been with us those three years was like, hey, I got what I wanted and there's no hope anymore on the team because it was just me. (laughs) (laughs) So then he was like, I'm out and he leaves. And I'm going, what the hell? Uh, So now I'm like stuck with the athletic director who played soccer a little bit, but wasn't this other guy, this other coach had played like in Germany, he played professional, like all of this. And I'm like, but this coach taught me more about like leadership, about life, about myself, how I work under pressure, words, like love languages, words of affirmation, all that stuff. I learned that from this coach and realized the power of that so much. Cause I remember preseason, I'm just, we're playing a game. I'm a small guy, but I was about to fight everyone I met. Uh, and so I was on the field and I'm just about to fight this other, you know, I'm angry, things aren't going well, he pulls me off the field. He starts hitting me in the chest and he's just like, you're the heartbeat of this team. You are the heartbeat of this team. You need to get your head together because if you can't do that, all the rest of them are going to fall. apart. Whoa. The last coach, the only thing he said to me that I remember out of three years was, Ben, what the hell are you doing? This is different. <laughs> so I was like, All right. And it just kicked back in the kid that moved to America. We didn't win. We got out in quarterfinals, maybe. I think like we like that was as far as we went. But I went, I think I was like second or third highest scorer in the league. I don't even know how many assists I got. Definitely a lot of assists. The league of all the coaches and officials, they get together and they vote player of the league like who was the best player of the league they voted me as the player of the league again our team got to quarterfinals like we didn't win there was other players who were like they we are way better than me. that's what i'm thinking in my head because we didn't win you know and the coaches are voting me as the person that they're seeing on the field is like that kid on that team best player in the league i get that i get other awards i got i finally got first team for three years i was getting honorable mention Then I get first team of the league and I'm sitting there like, what the heck? And just came from somebody speaking this life into me. You're the heartbeat of this team. You can do this. I believe in you. It just all clicked back. And I was like, right. I needed that. I needed someone to believe in me, to speak into me and speak into my potential, speak into who I was and see me for who I could be, not who I was being. I don't play as much soccer anymore. I love the game so much, but like you know when it came into music a lot of that story also guides me a lot in music now is like you know we're being reminded of the people I have certain people in my life who do that for me who remind me of moments who I can be and then now me getting in the habit of how can I affirm myself daily of who I can be how do I do that and reading these books and stuff I feel like that's just like they're like or a little motivational guys and stuff like some people will you know shit on the the motivational person but i'm like i like it like i like some of that stuff because it's just a person i need which is myself usually in that moment because i'm not there in person with a ryan holiday or gary v or eric thomas or but like in my head that voice is going through and it's just another person speaking to my potential who i can be that i'm like yeah i can do this i i can achieve all the great things that i believe You know, that my music can do for people. I can actually do this. I believe, I feel like this, the seventh grade kid again. I feel like that now, most days, because that guy was on to something. Someone said, I heard this last week, someone said success leaves clues. And I was like, oof. And I, when I look, so I look back at that and I look and I'm like, what did I have in seventh grade where I went exponential results as a child, I went from nothing to. I was doing pretty freaking well how did i do it who was i success leaves clues what were the things about that moment and i'm trying there's moments where i'm like now i'm older i need to have some more self-control i need to have so like i got you got to grow up in some parts of your life but that kid who was willing to have no reservations and believe he could be the next Pele. oh i want to be that guy because even if i don't become Pele, what happens in the moment that growth in the moment what it affects and how it affects the people around me. That to me is greatness. It's like, uh, I'm willing. Greatness is like, for me, it's being willing to look like a fool, being willing to fail, being willing to tell people I have a dream. I'm okay. And get shot only a little bit afterwards and never get to see your dream, but affects everyone else after
1: the legacy. That's, lost. Yeah,
0: that's beautiful. Be willing to, to, to go for it. Martin Luther King's dream did come true. It, it did happen. You know what I mean? It just wasn't. He didn't get to see it. He didn't get maybe the results. He didn't get the thing. So I'm like, oh, I'll be the next. You know, maybe I'll be the next Kanye. Doesn't mean that. What if I don't become the next Kanye? What if I don't have music that's doing it? What if I don't become the next J? What if my daughter gets to see her dad living at his maximum potential, attempting to go out, and my daughter goes, oh, I can do it. Oh, man. Or her friends or anyone else as she grows older, people who are able to be affected by that. When I step out, that vulnerability, that's scary, man. That vulnerability, that little space in between of willing to try. Everyone's willing to dream. I've met a lot of dreamers and I'm a big dreamer myself. And then our group text, we have a group text that we have of a bunch of dreamers. There's I made that specific. It's dreamer to doer. It's the dreamer to doer, like mastermind that we have in that text. Because for me, for years, I was always on the dream side, but I was way too afraid to try. Because that's where I went back to the kid. As you see, the theme in this whole thing is the kid who always felt stupid. And I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like people thinking I was dumb. I didn't like the feeling of people thinking I wasn't good enough. So I'd do anything to avoid that. And usually that came from just being the guy who makes jokes. So I would numb. I would try to make jokes. And I would make myself dumb in scenarios knowing I'm reading you know, all of these books. But I'd make myself dumb because I was so afraid that, like, what if they're you know, now like, I'm willing to try. I, mean, I would rather look dumb trying and being able to get close to God in that process, getting close to, you know, potential of who God created. That's exciting. That makes life so much fun.
1: I had this conversation.
0: That's a, long, that's a long thing also. I apologize. I don't know how long I just talked
1: about that. No, I mean, you were speaking through streams of consciousness and passion. I had this call with Kitty Noor talks about cool. the world creates space mm-hmm. for passionate people. Mm. this is why having a creative process or i think podcasting is very powerful as an avenue because i believe in the healing power of creativity but also i think that by sharing our voices and passions it gives other permissions to pursue their passions and voices it's a trickle effect and you're truly having a domino effect in the most uplifting and positive way and i think that's really really powerful about that so I just want to stay on this train real quick and double click on something. Soccer is a team sport. At the same mm-hmm. time, your coach told you that you're the heartbeat of the rhythm, your heartbeat of this organism of the soccer team. So you're both dealing with the individual component, but also the collective team components. How does that translate to you as a musician now in the creative process? Because... As an individual, you're the mastermind behind the lyrics, behind the harmony, the tempo, the alchemy of music and rhythms. At the same time, there is a team involved, manager, editor, producer, maybe you're a coach. So how do you see the similarities and how has that soccer journey is continuing influencing you now as your musician?
0: That's what I love being on this podcast with you is because you're able to connect things that I didn't even realize are connected. Yes. Oh, my God. The team aspect that I've been able to learn from soccer and the human psychology that I was basically being taught that senior year is a 100% the reason why I've been able to see even some of the semblances of success to this day, because I can't produce. During that whole journey of music and stuff, when failing out of college and music school and stuff, I actually was like, I'm not good with you know a digital audio like workshop the DAWs. I'm not good with them. Like I can get in and record a little thing real quick, get it up, and then be done. But I'm not as great with it. And so if I sat down every single day and practiced, 100%, I you know I could get it. But to me, that's wasting precious time on what I really love, which is writing songs, creating songs, and also working people. I love people. I don't do this to be alone. One of the things me and one of the producers I met with this week we we're talking about is how. One of my superpowers is that I am not the smartest in the room. The producer trusts me to do me. I trust the producer to do the producer. And it's that human psychology of like, again, this dance, the heartbeat, the rhythm, the leading. What I do best is I focus in who's this producer, what's going on in their life, what should be celebrated in their personal life? What are the things that are going on with them? And the best artists will tell you like when they're creating these songs, have incredible conversations beforehand, And then they write a song. So I'm sitting in the session, I'm booking out sessions for five hours, six hours, about an hour and a half of that is just us talking. That's it. It's about an hour of just like, yo, yeah, what's going on? The that should be celebrated, bro. Oh, you're having a kid. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, you're, you know, these are the things you're struggling with. These are the things you want. And me trying to fill up with love with the readings with everything else that I have, that I'm like, I don't have anything to give you. Connections or what I might not have some, but can I give you? So what I've read a book, I've bought books for my producers. I've sat down and shared with them things that I've read for podcasts, all that stuff. And I'll you know, and some of them will leave and be like, dude, that inspired the shit out. Of me. Thank you, because I'm like, all right, this is what I can do. So I'm giving them my best in that moment. They're giving me their best, which in return, which will be really wanting to create an incredible song with me. And then I'm able to flow out the music, but it's like this back and forth versus some people will come into a studio and it's all about how, what you're giving me. Producer, you work for me. You're gonna create my song. It's one of those things where it's like, you can sense when a person's in there for themselves, both of us are gonna gain from, both of us are gonna leave. Like one of the producers I came in and we had already made some good songs, but I said, hey, let's both challenge ourselves. I'm gonna come in, I have this melody idea, and it sounds like a country song i wrote it like a country song i went like credit cards all pulled up life's been on the deep lines again praise god like i wrote this thing and i said let's take that no chords to it no nothing else and let's create a song that we can see that could feel like frank ocean meets Bonnie Vera meets kanye west let's try to create with that melody And we did it's like one of our favorite songs we've shared it with so many different people because we just started putting all these elements and influences into it and we would change the vocals up completely and made some auto-tune and made some like this and to the point we're like this is weird dude and we send it to people and they're like this is cool but it was the whole point was me and him to gain on a challenge because he's sitting there like this is tough you gave me a task that's not easy and i'm like i know this is tough for both of us. How the heck are we gonna come out with something good? We left the first session and listened back and was like, this is terrible. We came back and did a second one and was like, I think we got it. Uh, but it took time and now we have something together that we both are proud to show other people like, yo, check this. We This was our process. This was the idea. But that's like human psychology. That's like, that's making something bigger than just Benjamin Carter walking in the studio. I catch my time a lot of times now and i learned this from my wife is saying we, like last night I played a show and I was like, well, I started saying we We're really just working and I was like, uh, I'm up here alone playing acoustic and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I literally said, I, I mean, when I say we, I guess me, I don't see this as just Benjamin Carter. I see this as the collective, the artists my, the that I'm with, the producers I'm with, the, my manager, the creatives, the photographers, the videographers. Uh, Like my family, my wife, like I see it as we moving together, we balancing off each other, we doing these things together. And because I learned that from my wife, because she started, when she started her company, one of the most powerful things she used to do. And at first I was like, is this a BS thing? Like, how is she doing this? She would always say our company, we are what we do. And she would always say that. And I was like, it's just you right now, dude. She had no other contractors, she had nobody else she was working with, but she was always we, 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 we. And then she got we. Then she started having employees, then she had started adding people. And I watched and I was like, Oh, that's cool. I need a team. And last year that's what I did. Last year I just finally was like, I need a team. Said it out loud. And now I'm like, I got too many people coming in. Uh, Like random people hitting me up being like, Hey, I want to run ads for you. Hey, I want to do this for you. And I'm like, now I have a lead and this team is growing. But yeah, soccer is definitely like what I've learned, but soccer mixed with the leadership stuff. Again, I ended up taking a BS major from organizational leadership, but learning in Jim Collins, good to great, what servant leadership was and then taking 12 years, I think of research to write this book based on what they believe. They set a metric for what they believe the top, leaders in companies did and what that would have to mean for their public like their share prices and everything else over a certain amount of time like that's why I'm so interested with this I'm like I can't do this on my own it was just up to me and I brought you a melody like that the song's only going it's one dimensional it's not going anything else it's me on an acoustic guitar it's done but I want to create the stuff I hear in a song I want to create the stuff that I like imagined in my head but I don't have those talents yet I don't have that thing I could work on it. Steve Jobs, you know, not to come serve myself to Steve Jobs, but that's someone who I would look up to where I'm like, this guy didn't really code. He made all this stuff, like computers, iPhones, but this dude didn't know how to create a computer, but he created the computer. We all attribute all this to Steve Jobs, not to Wozniak, which is mind-blowing to me because it came from out of Steve Jobs' imagination. It was his guidance, his belief in what he was creating and able to inspire people, even though he hurt people along the way and stuff. And he had to learn from his own mistakes. He was able to inspire the people to partner alongside him to create what we know today as literally the first trillion dollar company.
1: He's also the first one to marry liberal arts with technology, right? Yeah. I mean, he's... I mean, obviously, on a personal level, there are flaws and issues, but on a creative level, he is definitely on the Mount Rushmore or of, of the greatest innovators of ever. Yeah. yeah, I love that story, man. And I just want to highlight your genre. You talked about when you first wrote down music and genre, you, you still weren't clear, right? Because we're talking about symphony, because whether it's symphony in life or symphony of life, you need a composer to mm-hmm. compose a music. Like as a chefs, chefs are the alchemist with alchemy of ingredients. And you as a musician, you're the alchemy of your thought process, your emotions into this harmonic masterpiece through the yep. collective contributions and weaving with your team, producer, editor, etc. But your story about creating something new on a musical sonic level reminds me of Kit Cuddy and Lil Nas. Kit Cuddy, I mean, Man on the Moon will always be my favorite, favorite album i pay homage to him for introducing me to hip-hop when i first came to the u.s at age 15 so years ago now but as you know he was the first rapper to talk about vulnerability ever before that, nobody rapped about emotions nobody rapped about the street life nobody rapped about the hardened reality that these artists come from and then now it's almost like you have to talk about certain emotions you have to rap about some authentic part otherwise who's going to listen to you and Lil Nas, yeah. as a black uh, gay man, nobody thought he could do country. Song popped off, and they just put him on the map. And I feel yeah. like we talked about this where, where we're truly being authentic. I do believe that the world's gravity towards us rather than us gravitating yeah. towards them. And that's a story I'm hyper-aware. It's a story I'm telling myself because the tug of war between internal vision and the external dialogues, the chatter, the noises, it's very much real that fuckery that's yeah. real right yeah so with that being said i sort of mentioned this in the introductions how do you describe your genre how would you describe your music just sonically because it's so unique and I, like i said i love the song psycho just the lyrics the the realness you you and just so groovy but it's also very thought-provoking so how would yeah. you describe to someone who is coming across your music for the first time they're like what is this
0: if someone was coming, I would tell them I'm a lyric guy first. So I would say I'm a message guy. What sucks is that sometimes our lyric message guys aren't good at music or like their music doesn't, like it's just like, ah, that's corny or yeah, believe in yourself. It's time to stay. Like it's like, okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want to, I don't want that to be what the kind of music I'm putting out but I care about message a lot you know I want to be, my dad's a pastor my grandpa's a pastor you know my uncle is a pastor you know they're all preachers like I'm like I want to bring preaching I want to bring something to people however I won't be too preachy you know it's like that balance' It's like I'm like not trying to be preachy and I only got two minutes and 30 seconds or three minutes to like put an idea into your head um, and so uh, I would say like hey what you're listening to is you're listening to a lyric guy first. If you listen to Fragile but you don't listen to Psycho, you might miss the message. You know, if you listen to Father Prayer but you don't listen to 17, you might miss the message. It, it's the catalog all together builds off each other to tell a story of a guy and his emotions and his feelings and his life, but it's like it's my little autobiography. You know what I mean? Different chapters for different things. I don't really focus as much on the sonics being cohesive because I'm a first generation kid of the internet. YouTube was created and I'm the one in the Cayman islands, watching videos of anime in Japanese, being exposed to Japanese culture while speaking English, while living in the Caribbean as a black kid. What do you mean? That's wild to me. Oh man. That's so cool that God was able to give me that experience. Uh, and so, I, I definitely lyrics, man. lyrics are, are a big part to me, the story that I'm trying to tell people of my life of living, following your dreams of, you know, racial tension and racial reconciliation. I want to tell all of those things through the music, the nows, the past, the reflection on the future, all of it together. And I want to put it all in a song. And songs, sometimes they call for a different part of your voice. And I love that I have, like, I have a song coming out called Hands Up, Don't Shoot, because I listened to punk rock growing up, and I listened to people screaming in songs growing up, but I just never did it, and then I got in the studio and was like, I want to try it, and so we got in, and it's one of my favorite songs, and I'm screaming every time I see that look, not like this at all, Uh, staring at me like a crook, hands up, hands up, don't shoot, like, but I'm screaming that thing at the top of my lungs. I'm going, you're a killing machine. I'm just trying to breathe. I'm just trying to sleep, get what you got up your sleeve. Like, I'm just screaming it like a punk song. The song's just like, and I'm like, I cry my eyes out when I listen back to that song because it's one of the most vulnerable songs I have, but the backtrack, the way it's provided and handed to you, it doesn't seem like it would, this shouldn't be a vulnerable song. This should be a hard song but I'm scared to death. That's the song. The song is me scared to death and screaming, hands up, don't shoot. So it's like, I'll be driving in the car, I'll play it choked up, tears rolling down my face. And I'm like, oh, this is the song that's gonna gonna keep me playing music 40 years from now. It might not be the song that gets me a Grammy. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know <laughs> that, but I'm like, but 40 years from now, I'm playing this song at festivals, at shows, you know, and people bring me out to play or whatever, because I'm like, this song is vulnerability. This song helps people. It might take years for it to catch on, but I go, this is what the world needs more of. Not that I'm the only one bringing it, but we need more of vulnerability packaged in a way into an audience that might not be looking for vulnerability in this style of song. And I think Kid Cudi did that perfect. It's like, if you're listening to a song you listen to hip-hop you weren't looking for someone to talk to you about their anxiety their depression they were going through you are like i was looking to be like yeah i'm up in the club and i'm but you listen to like pursuit of happiness and it's like dude you were going through it day and night oh you're going through it but then we'll add some day and night uh, uh, i toss and talk in and it's like oh you were going through it one of those things And i didn't realize how much kid Cudi really even inspired me but for me lyrically like that's what i'm i'm doing with a lot of my songs so I'm providing you lyrics that you might sing on a song hyped. Lost Control is a song that I want people to sing hyped. You know, like, is this real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me tell me what the hell am I really looking for. And then one day just like might be the 50th time you listen to it. Because it's fun. You might listen to it 50 times. But that 50th time, you're gonna sit there and go, is this real? Tell me what the hell am I looking for? If you're near, help me cuz i'm about to lose control but the song's fun as out, you know like you're gonna you're screaming it people will be like is this real yeah 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 like it's like fun beat like everyone's like having fun but it's me putting in there is this real is god real is all this happening if you're near if you're here god if somebody's here if anyone can hear the sound of my voice please help me and i was at a hard place but I p- wanted to put it in a song that was like, not that at all. I wanted to put it in a song that wasn't dressed up for sadness. So it's like the beginning starting with, I feel like I talk too much, you know, like I'm always losing friends. It's like the beginning is like, this is sad, but you're kind of already brought into the beat, you know? And then it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll do better. Like it's the whole song is about, it feels so fun, but those lyrics are rich with, I need help. I cry for help. You know, and Kid Cudi does that, I think, so beautifully, you know, and I think that's what I'm trying to attempt to do with my music is, can I provide something for people that they might listen to like a hundred times, 50 times, however many times, but on that one time they listen to it and decide to actually look at the lyrics, they go, ah, frick, that got me, that impacted me. And Psycho is the same thing. Psycho is such a fun song, but that chorus is one of the hardest choruses I've ever written. I'm saying let a nigga tell you what he's talking about. Caught up with emotion and I'm feeling with doubt, I'm feeling psycho. I'm so over chasing another stereotype, uh, overdosing on opinions and I'm losing my mind, I'm feeling psycho. And like last night I played it um, and I played it an acoustic and there was these black guys that were there. And these guys came up to me and they're just like, brother, let a nigga tell you what I'm talking about. And they were just so hyped. But this isn't something they like a lot of guys like me we're like, told it was okay when we were kids to listen to. Gotta listen to something hard, gotta listen to something tough, gotta be hip hop, gotta be, you know. But like, now it's like an acoustic guy sometimes, or with a guitar and stuff, screaming to like some sort of like princey, you know, maroon five type thing, but screaming out, let a nigga tell you what he's talking about. It's like, oh, okay, it gives voice to people who didn't have voice using a different avenue and where the people that are going to listen to it most likely won't look like them, but they will hear their voice. And I think that's the course of the weed. That's the course of what we're all seeing now and other people can do it and know that that guy doesn't look like me, but he's definitely freaking listening to what I have to say.
1: Yeah. Music is truly universal and dude, I just want to recognize, man, your ability to incorporate the macro, these really, really convoluted, difficult, complex, systematic issues, and package that through this personal vehicle. And of course, the packaging of funness, right? Because you got to hook them. So they stay long enough on your train or yeah. journey. And then it clicks one day. The seed is yeah. planted. And you may not, as you said earlier, you may not always see the seed blossoming to something. But you know, your job is done. The seed has already been planted on your end. It's, it's really powerful, man. Because I do think that the messaging board, just the motivation porn itself isn't enough. Where motivation overload every single day whether it's podcasts, books, audiobooks, there's so many smart people out there. There's so many better podcasters out there, but all we can do is all we can do. Yep. So zooming into what you said, Ben, how would you tell people, whether it's our age, maybe even older, maybe younger, regardless of their spectrum of age, how would you tell them they're like, Ben, I want to be a singer-songwriter. I want to be a musician, but I can't. My dad's a pastor. Nobody in my family has done creative processes. My my mom is an accountant. I don't know what else to do. I was never creative. Because you're a pastor's kid. You're the only PK, pastor's kid that I know that's doing what you do. And you're so, so good at it. So for people that's listening, people who are grappled and just hindered and weighted down by all these thoughts and all these expectations, I can't do what Ben does. There's no way. What would you say?
0: Great question. I would say that...
1: First off, it's
0: not going to probably be, it might not be easy. You know, that's one thing that like, you know, I've had some heart to heart some tougher conversations with even my family, my dad and stuff. Cause I remember like, Hey guys, I'm going to be cussing. Uh, You know, (laughs) like, like it's just gonna happen. Uh, And that was like a, Whoa, what the, I don't know if they like that. I cuss, but they support me. You know, And I felt even more of that pressure, but like, wanting to respect even my in-laws too. My in-laws are very much more conservative in that sense too, where I was just like, it's not just about me, but they seem to be fine with it as well. Um, And so I was like, okay, all right. So I was just testing waters, testing different things. I remember when I did bad habits, I didn't even say anything. I was smoking a cigarette in the video. Uh, And I was like, oh, my family's about to like kill me. They understood the art, they understood what I was saying. And I think first and foremost, I would say, when you're doing this about yourself, people can tell. And so if you find yourself when you're being like, I'm going to do my music thing or whatever, and I don't care what my family's going to say about it. I would just say, check yourself for a set. You know, like I've noticed now all the moments I was scared, my emotions were telling me not just that I was scared of maybe the affirmation thing. Definitely there was some of that, like, oh, I want my family to affirm me and be happy for me. But I also noticed that in a lot of it, I respected them point where I mean that one time I was you know working for my dad at his church in front of 10 people on a Sunday playing worship music playing stuff and I think that season of life and plus the seasons of life I've had to go through with my wife and her family have shown us have shown them who I am as a, as a man as Benjamin Carter that they trust me they trust me with their daughter they trust me with my daughter they look at me and they respect because I've been so fixated and focused on, but making sure that at every moment my family knows that and care about that more than I care about this whole popping off music thing. So if you see family freaking out, they might not be able to voice it because they might not know. Some of, some people just uh I will also th- throw that in there. Some people are only concerned about themselves. So your family members, you could be showing that you love them and they could just be like, nope. Uh, You know, and that's a different thing. But at least in my scenario, they love me, they care about me, and they know I love and care about them and my wife and my daughter. I've been able to pursue this thing with support from people who I never thought would support me. Pastors, you know, who are helping me and giving me money because they believe in what I'm doing. They're just like, oh, man, like, how can we partner alongside and help you and i'm like you realize in the song i'm about to say i'm about to say let a nigga tell you what i'm talking about like that's not really like church you know what i'm saying like i was like that i don't know like some of the messages might not be here and lost control it's kind of it's gonna be spooky i have like these weird music videos like me with purple eyes and like it feels like haunted house i'm like ah people might be like this is demonic uh but pushing these boundaries really hard because that's part of my story. And I didn't really want to talk about my religious story and my background. Cause I was like, ah, Christianity has a bad rep. So I've always kind of wanted to stay out of it. You know what I mean? But I can't get rid of it. Cause it's authentic to me. I'm, I'm a third generation, you know, pastor's kid. Like I'm part of all this stuff. I'm like, I gotta talk about it. And the more I've talked about it and allowed it to flow through, most people are like, oh, that's cool, man. And those who don't think it's cool. I haven't said anything, so it doesn't really matter. You know, but I think it's like, step out, do your thing, try. And when you're trying, make sure you're trying for something more than yourself, more than just a couple thousand likes on IG. It's your family. It's the the other generations. It's future kids. It's loved ones. It's, It's inspiring other people to be able to do their journey. It's being... Able to say like, all right. If I am a famous artist, at least maybe the symbolism that I, when people see they can see. You know, if I wanted people to see it, I'd want them to see a word that says dreamer, encourager, inspired. Like that's what I want. Like Benjamin Carter goes away. I want them to just know those words and then take those on, plant those seeds, and they can take those and use them for future generations. And they can forget about me. But if I can give them dreamer, inspirer, and they can be like, now I'm going to be a dreamer. Now I'm going to be the inspiration. Now I'm going to be. I think those are the things, and those are my words. Like, you don't have to have those words. Figure out what those words are for yourself. Again, that kind of goes back to what we talked at the beginning, mindfulness, mindset, mindfulness, mindset, all of that. And then try, test, try. Okay, that didn't work. Mindfulness allows you to kind of watch and govern those things. Success leaves clues, man. And I've noticed, at least for myself, like, I'm seeing exponential results. I'm not telling you this is the only way to get what you want. telling you this is a beautiful way to sustain
1: so how would you balance between absolute uncompromised personal satisfaction and service that's a great question yeah because i sense a lot of the theme and ethos of service and of course you said it so beautifully that when we do it for larger than us larger than me 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 look at me 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 cosmos and universe and god tend to respond well to that intention But at the same time, as a creative, especially someone that's not just up and coming, but a very established, you're so passionate and you have this vision you want to live out of because you are the conduit, you are the vehicle of your stories. But then you have this underlying theme of the service. So interesting to see how you would balance that or show people how you would personally balance it.
0: I think I would just say the word balance is tough for me in general because I'm more focused on moving forward than being Balanced, meaning I picture life as like bowling with the gutters up and being humble enough to say, I need the bumpers up. I don't need gutters anymore. I need the bumpers (laughs) up and bowl that joint. It might smack the shit out of one side and then go to the other end and smack the shit out of the other side. But you know what's happening the whole time? It's going to go towards those pins. You might only knock a couple of them because your technique was bad. You might knock more because your technique was better, but you went forward. And so balance to me is that and when I picture it in my head, so I think there is no clear line between the two of like how to get the perfect balance. Um, But I do believe as creatives, we do have to say, there's those moments where you have to find what is true to yourself and say, Hey, this is the story I am going to tell. And I'm being told this is stupid by like six people. But because of my practices, because of my mindfulness, because I'm self aware. I know this is a story that I truly believe in that is going to help other people. You know, it's like, I can't change. Like someone this week told me to change a song cause they didn't like the song and they were like, ah, oh, you should scrap it. But I like it. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, well, I really like it. And then I was like, maybe I'm crazy. Let's be humble enough to say this could be a bad song, but I like it. Let me ask around some people's opinions who I value. Ask my wife. She didn't like it. Asked my manager, he liked it random person out of nowhere. Text me says they really like it. And so I go, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this song because I really like it. And I'm noticing there's a trend between some people just have preferences, but the message I put in that song mattered to me. And I liked how we, the ebbs and flows of the influences in the song. It's not for everybody, but it's for some. And as long as I can see that it's for some, I'm willing to try last year. One of the best things I ever did is I let the TED talk about the guy who, who did the rejection challenge for 100 days or something. I don't know if you've seen that, but he put himself through uh, 100 days of rejection. I was like, mm, I'm soft. I'm way too fragile. I put it in a song. I named the song Fragile. I need to get a little tougher because this thing, this thing people are going to say they hate my songs. They're going to say it, and I need to be able to be okay with it and not destroy myself over it. All right. So I started just sending demos. I was like, I'm going to ruin some relationships here. There's some a there's some people who, and that I'm sending music to that they're going to be like, we hate this Benjamin Carter guy. He keeps sending us messages. <laughs> but I was like, but this is for me. I was like, I got a little, I was a little selfish. I was like, I need you to not respond. I need you to reject my thing. I need you to tell me I don't like it. Or to tell me you do like it, but the fear of rejection is really what mattered. It wasn't really that they were going to reject me. It was the fear of rejection to not even try. So I just started sending demos and stuff last year. Some people never responded. Some people gave great feedback. Some people hated it, but it got me to this place where now this year I just laugh, I really like it. One person told me it really helped them. So if there's one where there's one, there could be more. Let's try to find them. I'm fine with my entire audience being in, in in Mozambique. Fine with my entire, all my, the fans of that song being in one country, one tiny island, one tiny place, but all of them mess with it. And it's only that one song that's messed with over there. Cool. But I want to find them. I want to find that group of people that are like, we love this. And this speaks to us and what we're going through. I'm not as concerned of if it's the whole world. If I can find one, there's many.
1: It's like one for all and all for one. Yeah, Yeah. and I also sense a lot of the power of surrender, and I really appreciate before I I continue, by the way, all these questions to someone, listeners out there that's first to this channel and this show, it's unscripted. So I really appreciate you sharing your real answer because not everything has a blueprint and not everything's meticulously laid out. Oh, balance, I have this perfect, I have this blocks. It's life, you know? And like I said, balance looks different for everyone. So I think having this perception of one size fits all, work-life balance is a huge disservice. Some people need four hours of sleep. Some people need nine. You know, everyone has different needs and demands and circumstances, privileges, oppression, etc. What I wanted to talk about is the power of surrender that I sense in your story is surrender gets a bad rap. Like detachment in Buddhist philosophy, people are like, oh, surrendering, that means you're giving up. You're not surrendering, you're, sur- you're surrendering to a higher being after you've already worked with what you can control because you cannot control or exert influence in life, but you can insert a certain control in certain domains of life, whether it's work ethics, you know, waking up to your self-care routine, make sure you're in the right headspace, et cetera. At the same time, you have to know your limits and surrender for the greater good that's how you make sure you don't get, your mental health is not at the cost of what you do. So I just want to bring that with you because there's a story you shared with me where it speaks to the serendipitous power of life but also the synchronicity of life. Once you had the right intention, once you did everything you possibly could with your fiance or your girlfriend at the time, right? And then through surrendering, God answered your call through this Miraculous outcome, as you know, I got full goosebumps when you shared that story, and I just want to to create an opportunity for you to share and just talk about the power of surrender in that specific moment and how synchronistic life became immediately twenty four hours later.
0: Yeah, let's say this before preference is I'm blessed with the greatest family on earth, uh, but I'm blessed with an incredible family. and when I say family, I mean my wife, me, I mean her parents, you know, her brothers and sisters, I mean my parents, I mean my sister, I mean my cousins, I mean all of them. Flaws and all, I love so much. And so when my wife and I started dating, my wife's Brazilian, um, and her mom moved to the US uh when she was young, got remarried, and married the man she's with today, um, and they both lived in Alabama. South Carolina, in fact, Alabama, where they are now and due to where they live, due to how life looks around them, a guy like me, I'm black for those who aren't looking, um, <laughs> <laughs> a guy like me wasn't necessarily what they had anticipated. And so they were not for our relationship. And that caused a lot of issues, a lot of ups and downs. Things got really rough for both her and I, between her parents and between each other between all of it it just was about two and a half three years at one point I just broke up with her because I was so beaten I just was like there's just this is just never gonna happen like I can't get our parents to like me and that she moved to LA and I was like she's gonna find some other guy lighter skinned Uh and he's gonna be the perfect thing uh for the family I was like I know I'm a good dude but there's going to be another dude and he's just a little lighter skin who's the exact same version of me and he's going to be perfect <laughs> for everyone so I was like I give up I eventually called her back we got back together after around six seven months I was like nah I was dumb I need you Um, and so I called her back came out to LA won her back eventually she was like hey you know I was in DC um, at the time but I was like while well, she was still in LA and I was like I got posted this girl been through so much I know she's it for me you know I was like I'm this is this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life. With. So I call her and I, buy the ring, I call her up. We had already kind of been talking about the idea of what happens if I were going to impose her. So I was making a joke on the phone and I go, yo, you know, that day I call your parents up, call them up and I'm going to be like, Hey, can I have, you know, uh, your daughter's hand in marriage? I was like, they're going to freak out. You know, that was like, they're going to lose their minds completely. Uh, and she was like, don't say that. And I was like, dude, I'm judging off the last 24 hours. Didn't you just get into an argument with your parents about something small. Like, I was like, if that was a small thing, this is a black thing. It's a different, and I was like, it's just going to be worse. Uh, and she was just like, <laughs> black <thing. and> she, <laughs> so I was like, this is different. And she was just like, don't do that. And out of nowhere, she, to this day is like, I don't know where that came from. She said, you never know what God can do in 24 hours. And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and 24 hours later, I'm like working at a coffee shop at the time, trying to get a full time job so I can be like the man. uh, So that I can honestly, I was like, maybe I can. When I call them up, if I have a full time job, then they'll accept everything in my mind. Was like, what can I do to prove that I'm worthy? And I get a call from her and she's bawling her eyes out, like hysterical, crying, like can't speak. (laughs) And I'm like, "Uh, what's going on? You good? And she's like, my uh, mom just called out of nowhere and just said, hey we're sorry for everything we've done to you and ben i know you guys are back together We just want to let you know that we're sorry we love you guys if you guys were ever to get married we want you to know we pay for the wedding and i'm like what the <laughs> like, nah this is a joke so then i go and i talk to like they hit they text me same day um and they go hey we'd love to we'd love to have a conversation with you and i was like oh okay but this is all theoretical when we have this conversation gonna go bad like that's what i'm thinking in my head i'm like they think theoretically i could want to marry her but i already have a ring this is happening <laughs> i was like this is happening in three weeks uh but i was like okay okay how do i do this how do i do this and i'm on the phone with them they're talking to me and they're like if you ever want to marry our daughter we just want to let you know that we would love that you are a good man and i was like all right um well i'm actually planning on proposing to her um in three weeks i have the ring on november 22nd they go could we be there? And I'm like, what? And I like kind of just stop and I'm like, yeah. And so the photo of Yaz and me proposing to her, I still don't remember what I said. I don't think I said anything. I don't think anything happened because when she got upstairs and she was on this rooftop and we had all these balloons and our, like everything, like saying, marry me. She got up to the rooftop. Her mom popped out behind the balloon. Shoot. I'm about to cry. Uh, her mom pops out behind the balloon and she says, and all I hear is my wife say, um, is that my mom? And she says, she says, is that my mom? And she just loses it. Just starts crying. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, I did the greatest proposal in the world. <laughs> uh, oh, man. And I'm just like, how did this happen? How did we get to this place where. You know, I didn't, I couldn't have done anything different. You know, there was moments in between that. I look back and I go, Oh, we should have been kinder. We shouldn't have sent those texts that were really rude and hurt each other and hurt her parents or hurt anybody else in the process. But when we kind of let go, and this is the message no one wants to hear on racial reconciliation, like this is stupid. Like everyone would be like, nah, dude, like we got to do some stuff. And I'm like, I'm not saying don't do anything. I, me and her, the doing was staying together do you mean of course there was something to do if we hadn't stayed together none of this happens so there is a doing that happened we stayed together against all odds against everything else that was coming up against each other even when we broke up we came back together because we're like this is gotta happen irregardless of whether or not people love us hate us that's what you do is you stay with it but no amount of yelling no amount of being rude no amount of arguing no amount of you know, tearing them down benefited us at all. In the end, the only thing that benefited us in that moment, like the only thing was this incredible God moment where all of a sudden 24 hours later, everything's good. Now they're just in-laws. Now we have like in-law problems and stuff. And I'm like, uh, like normal things where you're like, ah, those are my in-laws. We'll have normal things. And even then, like they're incredible. I love them. And. I know with that same ferocious passion they had that they've now moved and transmuted out towards not me being with them. They will, I say this not in a like a legally binding way, but they would kill somebody for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, to clarify, like,
1: there is no uh, intent of homicide. In there's this no
0: intent of actual killing, but they love me and they love my daughter with that same passion. That's all I could ask for. So I'm like, If other people are like, Oh, I'd still hold on. I'd still hold a grudge. I'm like, nah, dude, I want those guys on my side. Something happens to my daughter. I want those guys on my team and they are on my team. Now I can wipe everything else away and say, Hey, we're good. Because now who just joined the team are people who are passionate, who care, who really, really believe they might've believed the wrong thing, but they've now switched and now they take that same passion, that same care towards, Hey, what'd you say about my daughter? What'd you say about my granddaughter? What'd you say about my my son-in-law? Now it's like, now I got the people on my team who are like, nah, we will shut down anything that comes against our son-in-law who looks drastically different than us, but is part of us. So I'm like, that's the racial reconciliation story that's like not necessarily always talked about, not always praised, but it's one of those things for me that it's like, I find it beautiful, man. And where there's one, there can be many. Um, And so- I just really, really believe that there's success leaves clues, man. There's something there and we keep dissecting it. Maybe we can figure out how to replicate that in a larger form and reconcile racial relationships.
1: Dude, that's, that's amazing. And also I just want to highlight what you just said, Recon- reconciliation and the process of reconciling with whatever looks different for every single person. We need more nuances, nuances, and nuances. That's why we do long-form conversations, because I think the essence of life is the nuances. Man, what a freaking amazing story. And you're exactly right. It's not just luck. It's not just serendipity. It's not just chance. It's you've done the hardest part, which is the commitment of endurance in a very, very a tumultuous relationship because of the racial components because of different environments as you said we are the byproduct of our environments not necessarily who we are and of course like Al- alabama north i mean of course those are very particular areas but then after you did the doing it was a being it's like be do have you need all three of them you cannot just be, be being We see all these hippies and all these really really enlightened folks and they're so open they're so amazing people and they have this love for all mindset the philosophy of oneness but then it's like their plane took off but it never landed because they only remember the being part they forgot about the meat suit the human aspect of human being you need both likewise you cannot just do 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 that's external that's you're attaching your worthiness to doing to productivity which is capitalistic america does it so well is you're only worthy if you're producing never forget that and we need to unlearn that at the same time you also need to be you have to be with it to truly receive the lessons as you have but that is a miracle and i really really hope that people can take a moment and just sip on that story because it is so deep the intricacies the emotionality, just seeing you tearing up almost brought a tear to my eyes too, you know? And it's, so with that, I just want to take a slight pivot into your family aspect, your own family, which is your child. Yeah. What does fatherhood mean to you? And this is a personal curiosity. Did you cry when you first held your daughter in your arms?
0: No, not at all. (laughs) Um, I did not cry mainly because uh, things were not going well in the hospital. Um, Mm -hmm. And when my wife was giving birth, And so it was like an emergency C-section. My daughter came out with a fever, kind of going into this weird like shock on the table. One day I'll tell her the story and we'll laugh. But when I tell, I looked at my daughter, I'm like, dude, we just met the girl (laughs) over there. (laughs) The girl sitting over there is dying. Like what am I supposed to do? So it was this moment and the doctors weren't helping. They, I guess they've seen everything. So they're playing Selena Gomez in the the operating room. They're playing, I needed to lose you to love me, to love, to love. And I'm sitting there like, I don't need to lose nobody. Why is the song playing right now? And why are you guys dancing around to Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez when we could be over here saving my daughter and my wife's life? So it wasn't a great moment for me. So no, I did not cry, but... I've cried a lot since, for sure. But I didn't cry in the moment. And I can't wait to tell her that story and her just be like, I'll probably tell that at like a future wedding or something. Now, father for me is everything. Uh, I, if anything, I've had to teach myself to be a better husband, for sure. You know, like I've had to, but since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a dad. I just always wanted to be a dad because I had a really good dad. I still have a really good dad. There was a moment when I was a kid that I remember it's just crazy. I'm laying in bed in a bunk bed. My dad would go to the church almost at the, every Tuesday morning at like four thirty five am and go pray in the church. And I would like sneak with him a couple of times. I'd hop out of the bunk bed. Be like, Come on, can I go? He would pray and I would be like, God, <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I'd be asleep in a pew, man. Uh, like, But I just wanted to be with my dad. But I remember one moment, uh, I'm laying in the bunk bed and I hear my dad's keys jingling outside the door. And I just remember like praying to God and saying, it's not fair. It's not fair that you gave me a dad who's a secretly an angel, but you plan on taking him away from me because angels can't stay on earth forever. I thought my dad was absolutely perfect. And my mom, every time I tell the story, my mom's always like, oh, okay, but I was a shit mom. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Nah, that's not it. It's just like, you know, just things were different. I talked to my mom more than I talked to my dad. I share more with my mom than I do with my dad actually. But there's, with my dad, it's just like, I never saw him raise his voice unless it was like at me like because I was doing some stupid thing and it was even then it was never really out of anger. It was always like, hey, we don't do this. Dude, I got the best spankings in the world. I get spanked. I get told this is why we're going to have this. Okay. Thanks, thanks, spank, spank. Me crying my eyes out. Come on. Hey, do we know why this happened? I want to make sure this doesn't happen again. I need you to do. It. Yes, sir. Most people hate spankings because it's like. You're just walking up to a kid and just hitting them and saying, don't do that. Okay. Uh, Affirming, like I do this, I get smacked. Me, it was like, talk, this, talk. And then by the time I got old enough where the hitting just didn't even matter, the spanking didn't matter, it was still talk, take this away from you, you're grounded, talk. You know, it was like very much like we always had these good, like it was very composed. It was very calm. It was very like that and I just always was like really admired how my dad was and how strong he was like and I watched my dad go through some stuff and always stay so composed by the time when I started working on the gym in high school or in high school in college I remember being in college like lifting and there'd be nights where the only way I could lift was I'd be like if you want to be literally I would tell myself this like if you want to be a good dad you want to be a strong dad one day One day you're going to be going through some crap. Who says you'll be able to do the things that you said you're going to be able to do for your family if you can't lift this weight? That's what I'm telling myself in my brain, because it was like, you go to the gym because if you want to be able to be a good dad, you'll be able to, you need to be able to handle these situations. You need to be able to stay composed. You need to be able to be that type of guy. But if you can't do this, if you can't show up here in the gym, you're not going to be able to do it then. But for years, that's kind of how I was because I was just kept thinking of like, my dad, you know, almost dying in a, a train car fire and then preaching the same weekend. My dad going through this crazy car accident, but believing God was going to give them a car. My dad ended getting someone randomly giving them a car. And he just stayed consistent. He came there to build this church. He should could have left. He could have gone somewhere else and got a different job. We were doing really well and came in. Like everything was fine. But he was like, I'm called here. I'm supposed to stay here. Call it here. I'm supposed to stay here. We're going to figure it out. Fatherhood for me is like, it is completely focused on just kind of like emulating some of those attributes. I saw my own dad, my grandpa. I saw some great men be great men. And I always wanted to just be that. I just want to be the guy who my daughter's like, I can count on him. He loves me. I've seen unconditional love my whole life. I can try, I can step out. That's all I want.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you come from a lineage of great men. And dude, gray men are so freaking scarce in 2022. Man, like gray men are scarce. Gray men is a dying breed. And I really respect how the mannerism, your attitude, how you describe your father, your grandfather, your uncle. Because I feel like a lot of people now are ashamed of where they came from, are ashamed of their tribe, are ashamed of their lineage because of cultural assimilations and different systematic issues, whatnot. But I love you're so grounded and I could see how great your father is and your mother just from you because you are the embodiment yeah. of their parenting, of their philosophy, of their views. And I do, Ben, I love the way you view the world. You're so intentional and you have this very constructive way of trying to discern whenever you can and dissect whenever you can and to integrate those yeah. distilled insights. Um, so on that end, I have a question for you. I know that we talked about the the drive I had with the workout, you know, the military, the whole thing was because I used to be chubby, same thing. Mm-hmm. There's always that little insufficiency that's driving us forward. But then yeah. of course you unlearn that, you get to know yourself better and then you take away the strength from that attribute because it's not all yeah. bad. At the same time, you also talked about, because you always were called dumb, all these false labeling that gave you this motivation. And right now yeah. a lot of your success I don't find success as financially. I define success as, are you happy? Are you ambitious? Are you showing up to your, the people you love and are you doing something that you love? You check all those boxes. So I know you and I, we both read Will Smith's book, Will Smith yeah. with Mark Manson. And just for the listeners, this was pre-slap era. We, I bought the book and I finished the book before the slap incident. So this is not yes. related to the slap.
0: The week before the slap, I finished the book. Like, <laughs> yes, so ah. this was all, pre, all, all pre-slap,
1: <laughs> making known to the listeners. <laughs> But yeah, Will yeah. Smith and Mark Menson talk about life is like school, but the opposite. In school, yeah. they give you the lessons and you prepare for the test. In life, they give you the test. And then it's our individual responsibility to derive the lessons so we can avoid eating the same shit next time and just get better at dealing with the current of life. So it's very different how school system works and how life works. I met many creatives and artists and musicians like yourself and they actually all struggled in school yet. They're thriving in the container of life. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? You ever thought about why that is?
0: Why I'm thriving in the container of life versus why I didn't thrive in school.
1: Mm-hmm. And why do you right. think that creatives tend to not thrive in this? I'm sure there's rigidity, but why do you think yeah. that stark contrast exists?
0: There's a lot. And I think to that question, cause I have some friends who did really well in school and they're doing solid and they're in their creatives but they're not doing as well in their creative craft because the one thing that school taught them, even though they're really good at their craft. So they're really good at their craft, just like they'd be really good at school, but they're not really good at this journey of entrepreneurship, pursuing a dream, because it's not easily metric. It's not easily gradable. And so I think they struggle more than I do on this unknown world. Not sure what's going to happen next versus they're like, really good at the craft because it was A plus B equals C. Practice these notes, practice this thing, practice these methods. Now I'm really good. Shouldn't I be famous? Uh and it's like, <laughs> and I think that was the hardest thing going to music school too. It teaches you that for basically every aspect of your life. I've had a lot of uncertainty in a lot of areas of my life. My dad and parents living in that basement, that same basement my parents were living in was the basement I learned how to play soccer and it had those exponential results in my life because there's been uncertainty i've been able to see crazy results a lot and what i've told my wife is i said she's she's like i talked to her and i'm like hey financially we're gonna be way good because I like i have some financial goals some things that i've like spoken things that i want uh our family to be at and she's like our daughter's are gonna grow up a lot different than us because she's like i'm from brazil what are we gonna do like when she gets older what if we do have all this money and i was like not about the money it's about what we do with that money for me, it's like that testing, being okay to be so surrendered and detached to. Uh, there's just units of minute, measurement, and I don't, I don't care about the dollars. I want to test the waters. I want to. I like this uncertainty now. Now I like the stance. You know, I like. There's a story that uh, in the Bible that's one of my favorite stories, and it's Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal are like, our God's gonna bring down fire, and he doesn't. And then Elijah comes together and goes. My God's gonna bring down fire, but let's put some water around the altar. Okay, actually do it again, just to really press into the fact that like, his God was gonna show up and you weren't gonna be able to deny it. But also, he made it really hard, quote on, hard on God. But to everybody else looking around, they're going, dude, you're gonna, they're gonna kill you if this fire doesn't come down. So other people would say oh that's a gamble ben don't live like that life in a gamble I'm like it's not a gamble when you're rel- when it's trust when it's faith you know it, it's it's not a gamble it's just like i might not happen the way i think it's gonna happen but it's going to happen i have to have the faith and so i'm okay with that and most people because it doesn't happen the way they wanted it to happen or when they want it to happen now it's everything's cut out it's completely thrown out in the garbage And especially when you're living your life on that school system, it doesn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen in the way that it was set out in the exact steps, then it must not work. And it's like the school of life just doesn't work that way. It happens in all these different synchronistic events and these weird things. And you learn that you get the test first and then you get the lesson. And now you have, now you've gained. So I've had to teach my whole mindset. Bible says, and this is for anyone who doesn't believe in the Bible. I'll say this, like, I use quote the Bible a lot, but not just because I believe in it. You could wisdom literature. I've heard people who aren't Christians, they quote the Bible and they're like, Oh, it's wisdom literature to them. I'm like, dude, just go read it. Like, I don't, if you don't want to believe what I believe, I don't care, but read those stories and read the things like you can take a lot of philosophical wisdom. Book of James talks about says, uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because it's then that you develop perseverance. And with perseverance, once builds up, makes you perfect, complete and lacking in nothing. And for me, for a lot lot of part of my life, not having money, I always kept going to that emotion of lack. Always felt like I was lacking. But now I can look and see that verse. And I go, I get it now. Even when I'm hit, even when I fail, I'm abundant, because I just gained. So now I like living to put this practical, someone told me these things about myself that I wouldn't be this artist, that I was gonna be the artist that no one knew about in like 10 years. But like, I was going to be involved with some of the biggest artists in the world but like no one's going to know who i was like i'm just that kind of guy like i'm not going to be famous but like some people will know you know and they were kind of like insulting me but they're like yeah but you'll be you're all you're a good guy dude you'll be in all those rooms i went for a drive afterwards imagined myself being on breakfast club or here this is the first podcast i'm on but i imagined myself on that drive imagining breakfast club and telling that story of like, oh, someone told me that I, this song was never gonna be, oh, this person told me that they didn't like that, oh, this person told me that. You just gave me something. You gave me fuel, you gave me ammunition, you gave me a story. The basement was a story. I was always being given something. So now I, anytime things are happening that are bad, what they're hurricane that ripped off the roof of my, you know, threw me out of my own country and I had to move to the U.S. Almost died at one point in that whole thing. my dad's literally saved my life. I have stories which means that I was given something and I think if we can help people understand you are always being given something, now I'm becoming perfect complete and lacking in nothing. Now I can be joyful all the time because why not it's a happy but joy like ah oh man this is that might be tough but phew, the story the story I have the story of my wife's family I gained. you can't tell me I mean I lost. So now I'm trying to, I just try to switch up and play that, man. I think for me, it doesn't make sense. The school teaches you that you're gaining. Makes you feel like you got a C minus. School has taught you, hey, you got that C minus, but remember how I showed you every single thing that you got wrong and why you got it wrong? Now you've gained. Let's retry. The next time I try, I'm one step closer. And that's a hard lesson to learn. But I think at this point in my life, I'm finally like embracing it.
1: And I think the two ubiquitous ingredients across any form or slices of success is humility and curiosity. I had this giant epiphany last year that, oh, to be curious, you have to be humble. Because without being humble, you don't have the desire to be curious to ask a question. For me to ask you a question, Ben, that means internally, I must accept that you have something to say, that I want to listen. And i like to urge, take this moment for all the listeners listening. Just take a moment and pause and reflect. When was the last time you asked a question to someone that's maybe younger than you are, or maybe self perceive as less important or prestigious, or you air quote, respect less? Think about why do I not want to ask that person questions? Oh, I don't think they have anything to say. But then you have to check that metacognitively because everyone has something to say. Like the Bible says, right? Be empty and just let God flow through you. Once yeah. again, it sounds simple, but that is hard AF. Right? I'm still grappling so, with that. Just let yeah. God flow through me. Just be the vehicle yeah. for that. But speaking of embracing and embodiment, we're definitely coming towards the end of the episode. I want to hit you up with the two signature questions that we conclude the episode with. Yeah, cool. As you talked about one for many, one for all, and you talked about there are many different lanes of truth Lanes of experiences, lanes of pathways based on who you are, where you came from, what your visions are, X, Y, and Z. To everyone that's listening to this amazingly insightful conversation with you, Ben, and they're all grappling with different circumstances, different pressure, different internal chatter, external chatter. They don't really believe in self. Maybe they don't have the supportive system that you have. Maybe they don't have a tribe to help ground them the way we have because. I have an amazing tribe behind me as well. So to those people who need this voice, what sort of mentorship advice and program would you create to tell these younger folks, older folks who want to make something for themselves, like you live out the vision they have, but nobody believes in them, what would you say?
0: I have written on my phone, part of my mission in life is to dream, try and to pray and to inspire others to dream, try and to pray. I really believe that it's when we dream that we unlock our imagination and limitless possibilities that God created in us to be. But it's when we try that we begin to step out and have to trust. It's when we begin to trust that we find ourselves having to, And I believe that's what we are created to do. Um, and I believe when you're doing that in any avenue, you're going to find yourself in this fun spot where you're like, okay, okay, okay. All right. But I'm moving forward. Again, the analogy of the bowling. With the gutters up or the bumpers up let down your pride man bowl with the bumpers up you want to gutter ball and hit nothing or you want to get one it's really easy to figure out why you why you were going that way and going right but i don't got time to go gutter ball i gotta hit one i gotta hit at least one i can't gutter this thing man so let's put up some bumpers in our lives some some tools. Let's let's meditate. Let's read. Let's pray. Let's get some good people around us. Let's get groups. Let's start group tech dreamers to doers mastermind. Let's do those things. Let's try let's freaking put ourselves out there. Let's try and set that up. Because if I can get one, all right, okay, I know I'm on the right path. So anybody who's in that my big thing would be to dream, try and pray. Whether that's you praying to you know, my God, you want to talk to the universe, you want I don't care. Like I, I just don't care. I want you to dream try, right? I want you to put yourself out there. I want you to talk to God. I want you to fail. I want you to talk again. This is why I can't quit. It's the biggest reason why I can't quit music. And I told someone that the other day, they asked me, I said, dude, music is just the chisel God has given me. That's the tool that He's using to chisel the shit out of me. <laughs> it's just it, man. It's not I love music, but this journey I've been on, oh. The moment music is less than me being able to learn or gain anything from this journey, I'll stop and go s- do something. Else. I mean that sincerely. If the moment it's not about me learning and discovering and trying and picking out the, oh, synchronicity. Like last night, me, I have this little creed that I say now before I do shows. And when I wake up in the morning, that like a mentor of mine, you know, I like asked for mentorship and I got this mentor in my life. And then he gave me this, what he does for a creed. And I created my own creed. And in it, I say like, I'm unlimited, I'm abundant, I'm creative and I'm ready to inspire all those I encountered today. And I say it before shows. And I forget sometimes that what I'm when I'm saying it that I want someone to come afterwards and use the word inspire to me, to remind me. And someone came up to me last night crying their eyes out at the show and specifically said, you, you inspired me so much. And I went, ah! I did what I came here to do. I actually failed on my strategic marketing. I didn't talk much about my new single. I didn't get, I barely plugged my social media handles. I didn't get that many followers, all these different things. I was like, ah, I failed on those things. Like I should have been a little smarter about my marketing plan for this new single I have coming up in three days. But man, I did one thing right. And I came here, I did what I came here to do. I put myself out there, told my story of how insecure I was, how scared I was, in hopes that one person would be inspired. You know, now I, what did I do? I analyzed my mistakes. Next time, bro, slow down. Talk about your, say your stuff. You have a show. You have these things. You have a new single coming out. Talk about it. Slow down a little bit. Analyze your mistakes. Next time I come back and I play the next show, that won't happen. But I'm getting the right foundation right. And I'm getting the right thing that I came here to do right you know but you gotta put yourself out there you gotta try you gotta freaking try that's when you begin to learn that's when you begin to trust that's when you begin to like life gets starts to get exciting because you're putting yourself out there
1: dream do pray that sounds like the name of your next album or something Mm. you know so (laughs) yeah that's a that's an amazing response so, the last question for you to uh, conclude this amazing, amazing, amazingly nuanced and insightful interview and conversation with you is the signature Discover More question. And also, I sensed a lot of the Discover More ethos in your story. So, you know, coincidence? I think not. With Same. the last question, is Discover More? It's twofold. Part A, I like to challenge you with the ethos of discovering more, seeking discomfort. Because Discover More podcast is a sanctuary for seekers of curiosity and discomfort. I like to challenge you to share this on the podcast, uh, whether it's professional life, personal life, interpersonal life. What's an area in your life, or subject, or a topic that you feel inspired to discover more about after this encompassing three hour conversation? And the second layer is what's an area in the respective listeners' lives? you like to challenge to discover more about after hearing this inspirational conversation?
0: The respective listener, what do I want to discover more about them as well? Or do I want them to discover more?
1: It's about you, what do you want to discover about yourself? And then what do you want the listeners to discover about themselves?
0: Yeah, I think from this conversation, what I'd want to discover more about myself is that relationship between, when you brought it up, I was like, oh shoot. That relationship between how the team Human psychology, the teamwork, how is that actually playing a deep part into my process? You know, and understanding how much of when I was a kid and understanding how I played soccer and how that biggest year of my life in soccer and the last year I ever played competitively that had those incredible results. How much does that play into incredible results in this process and sustaining a strong career, a strong support, fan base, strong family. How is this gonna actually play into it? And like kind of really discover more about, I hate, I've hated the buzzword leadership. So I've kind of not read a single book about leadership in the last like three, four years. But now I'm like, I wanna pick those books back up. Cause I was always like, I'm not leading anybody, I'm doing music, but now I'm like, ah, it's not about, am I leading anyone? Like, do I have a team I'm managing maybe? Or so that's what I kept thinking. I was like, I don't really do that. And when I start a business again, then I'll pick those books up. That's what I kept saying to myself. But I realized that like leadership within the bounds of a dance between people in the studio, leading the moment, leading the intention, bringing the intention, intentionality. There's something to that that I kind of want to study a little more and discover more about. It's like the intentionality of process that has to do with the team and us getting to a collective goal. There's something there. So I definitely am like really interested in that. And I didn't see those two points connecting till you said it. And I'm like, oh shoot! And for the listeners, I would just hope that like I told somebody this the other day. And I was, the last thing I'll say is like I was like I was trying to give on TikTok. I gave like a little. It's like this is what manifestation is to me. It's me telling you to, I'm gonna take a I'm gonna go straight and then I'm gonna take a right in the city. That means I could go straight. I can go for a walk. A friend could pull up on me. They could start talking to me. I could say I forgot something at home real quick. I might turn around. Oh, uh, there's an orange theory here. Maybe I want to stop in and get work. Oh, I should grab something at Alchemist at the coffee shop. Actually, I I should run over here and uh, there's a homeless guy. And I saw somebody the other day pushing this homeless guy in his uh, wheelchair. I should, I should go help him out. Okay. Now I made it to the right. I made it there maybe later than I wanted to. I made it there at different point. I made it there, maybe different clothes. I maybe I turned back around and put different shoes on like at in the house and then went back out and then took the right maybe whatever but when i show up you're gonna be like oh ben you did what you said you're gonna do and someone was like no that's like not manifestation because manifestation is woo woo it is spiritual it is it's both and you can only understand that tension of it's both when you understand who you were created to be your created order so i believe i'm a created being by god i believe there was intricate intentionality within me by god there's practical value in me saying saying i'm going to go do something and take a right because you know in clinical science there's something going on between me saying something and the hormones and the things that are going on in my brain that come out when i say i'm going to do something that when i say when i say something multiple times maybe my heart rate gets elevated to a certain degree allows me to focus in and now i'm able to go do the meet the challenge of what i've said there's a beautiful physical actual there's meaning to the physical that's happening on something very physical happens there's science but the fact that it's happening is spiritual the fact that it's that intentional is what's so crazy to me as i'm learning about how we humans achieve goals and people t- huberman andrew huberman in a podcast talking about my heart rate goes elevated at a certain place and my head bows and then i'm able to go and i'm able to meet this when i think about a place of Oh, what happens if I don't achieve this? And then if I can do that as well as visualize the end goal in the mind, that's how I'm able to achieve goals on a more regular, more consistent basis. But it's because my heart rate pumps blood at this, my this, or my blood pressure happens here. And I'm sitting there like in awe, not in awe of like just the science and like saying, Well, the science means negates the God. I'm like, dude, do you understand how intentional and how incredible the design of humans has to be? if that's what's happening for us to achieve a goal, there has to be a God. And so for me, it's like, it's both. And so it is the manif- manifestation is the I'm going to go straight and take a right all the journey along the way, but the fact that it's even happening. It's so intricate and so complex at the same time. And that's the beauty of it. So anyone listening to this, I'd want them to go on a journey and try to discover more about how we as humans who were we created to be that's what i'm fascinated with that's what music is keeping me going on is i'm fascinated with was i created to be how is this music journey showing me more of that so i can give that to my daughter who might do something different but they might come with the same understanding of who they were created to be to be able to achieve beautiful results in their life that affect them but also affect everyone around.
1: beautifully said ben And I'm not a quantum physicist, I'm too dumb for this, but there is scientific backing of called the quantum entanglement for anyone that's interested in it. There's a lot of skepticism about law of attractions, law of manifestations. They're not actual natural law per se, but at least on a clinical perspective, there are physiological and emotional connections to optimality. In terms of physiological response when you feel resonated the frequencies and the endorphins this is not a base for to me to go too nerdy in the neurobiological aspect to that but to people who are maybe subconsciously resisting to what ben shared and the ethos and what the insight he's really trying to encourage people to think more about and discover more about i would urge you to do more research on your own at the end of the day we're just two individuals who have something to share based on our collective and respective journeys. But if yeah. you're interested, just look up quantum entanglement and it will tell you about how the matter is just a perception. And when you perceive it, it is zap into existence, which yeah. is the, the metaphysical aspect. But yeah, Ben, this has been an awesome conversation and there's nothing else for me to do but to roll out the red carpet for you. Um tell the people how they could connect with you on social, offline, and to see if yeah. there's any exciting projects on the horizon. I
0: have Lost Control as my single that is coming out, depending on when this comes out. Uh, Lost Control probably will obviously be out. It comes out in three days, but that single will be out uh, and I'm excited for that. That is part of a project that I really, a journey I'll be on on the next year and a half, but the first part of this EP um, will be called Black Boys on the Radio and it'll feature Lost Control and Psycho as well as some other songs like um, Black Boys on the Radio, Hands Up, Don't Shoot, Finish the Job. And that'll be kind of part one uh, and that'll be out um, on June 14th, later this year. And so uh, my goal in this whole next year and a half process as I roll out more songs that are part of this Black Boys on the Radio project will be to kind of tell the story of me, race, learning how to dream, stepping out of my comfort zone, um, embracing my authentic story. Um, and so if they wanna follow, if any of you guys wanna follow, you can follow on um, Carter Benjamin, which is my uh, Instagram. Carter Benjamin 2 is my TikTok, and I have a lot of fun on TikTok because I had to put a lot of walls down because uh, it was like, this is uncomfortable. This is weird. Uh, and I'm like, I'm too old for this, uh, and I didn't really like it. And then because I didn't like it, I had, I was so fascinated with my resistance to it that I kept trying it. And now I like enjoy it, and I see, and I've learned all of the reasons why I hated it. And some of them were good reasons. And some of them were just stupid. Now it's a platform I actually use quite often. So you can follow me there. And then obviously my name, um, Benjamin Carter, follow, look up all the songs. Well, The catalogs would be anywhere you stream music, whether that's uh, Amazon. Let's shout out Amazon. They don't get love on music, but or Spotify, <laughs> Apple, any of those, um, you'll be able to find uh, the full catalog of all these songs and projects over the next um, year and a half as I roll out. You know this story
1: yeah just to the listeners listening if you have made it till this end of course much gratitude but please check out ben's music and like i said his music is so thought provoking but it's also like a breath of fresh air without neglecting and negating the grooviness of the music the tempos the rhythm it's so catchy and you will find yourself hymning to his song in no time so hugely hugely recommend to everyone to check him out and Ben, lastly, I just want to say that prayer or the act of prayer transcends religion, organized religion, mm-hmm. spirituality. You can pray to your ancestors. You can pray to your passing loved ones. but And there are all a lot of psychological evidence empirically to support the power of chanting. That's another topic for another day. But yeah, to all the listeners, I've had a tons of blasts with this episode. Ben's an amazing guy, and I really appreciate generosity. And to everyone, if you're still listening... I really appreciate you for joining on the train of Discover More with myself and Benjamin Carter this week. And as always, hope to see you again next time at Discover More.